0: Also brought to you by Heads Up Guys. Heads Up Guys is a resource providing men with information and practical tips on how to manage and prevent their depression. This is a dedicated online tool devoted to helping men get the help that they need, finding someone to talk to, and navigate difficult times. For more information, please head over to headsupguys.org. And by Beneath, starting with the first thing that you put on in the morning, Beneath inspires you to be your most authentic self. Get ready to experience increased comfort that radically outperforms anything that you've tried before while leaving minimal impact on Mother Earth. Use the code UNITY to get 15% off at checkout at Beneath.com. That's B-N-3-T-H dot com. Dean Stott, holy shit. Welcome to the show, buddy.
1: Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, my gosh, I am I was so excited when um, you answered me back as quickly as you did, not only because you are in high, high demand right now from everything from your family to the military to being questioned about uh, your friends and their relationships, which must be interesting. So I, uh, I'm very grateful to have you on the show. I know, I feel like I know everything about you, um, but I won't lie to you when I say that I don't know where to start with you.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> bro, you're a machine. You're a machine in every sense of the word. Um, you are the definition of, uh, you know, and the the title of your book, you are relentless in, and you're not relentless in in the way that you just choose to live your life, but you're relentless in every aspect of your life. When you go hard, you go hard and you go full tilt. And those are the people I like to surround myself with and have on our show. And so I'm really going to let you take it from here. So many people, you need to check out Dean's book. You get the audio book. If you don't have time to sit and read, that's what I did. And I pounded through that thing. And one thing I want to touch on before is you read your own audio book. And I'm telling you, when you read audio books that are your own voice, it is a totally different experience for the listener and the person absorbing your information. So well done on you. But Dean man you are so fucking cool you are SBS you well you were SBS you are this gnarly you know world record breaker you're an incredible father you are an attentive husband you give a shit about your community that you involve yourself in you give yourself selflessly to charity and not only did you do that but you've done it and coming from you came from a pretty hard upbringing and I guess that's where we should start
1: yeah, yeah, I suppose, yeah. I, I was, you um, know, I was born in into a military family. My father was in the military. But both my grandparents were in the military. Um, yeah, my dad, you know, my dad's a Scotsman, um, old school Sergeant Major Scotsman, you know. Half my friends at school couldn't even understand them. I think they thought he was shouting all the time when actually, you know, he was just like <laughs> asking me what I wanted for lunch. Um, but he, he himself, you know, he he um his, his family his parents died when he was young as well, so I think having a family for him, we were his only, only family, really me and and my, my mother at the time and my two sisters. But um, unfortunately, my parents split up when I was the age of eight, and myself and my sisters went back to Manchester, which was my dad was in the south of England, and this is, this is north of England, uh, this was 1985 um, and and he had a career in the military and uh, one thing he, he did is put his career on hold. He got promoted to regimental sergeant major and he decided, no, he wanted to stay in the UK and try and get custody of me and my sisters. And, and that's what he did. You know, two years later, he, he managed to do that. He managed to get custody of us and we ended up living with him. Um, had to make a difficult decision my, myself at a young age. It went through dragged through the courts uh, and things like that and the judge didn't want to separate the siblings so being the eldest of the three I had to make a decision for us um, at, the, at the age you know by the time I was 10 at this point is it's a difficult decision because uh, it's pretty much that that decision could pan out the rest the rest of your life um, the two years I was in Manchester it was um, I won't say it was easy uh, we ended up in a homeless home in a um, we call it a ghetto, a ghetto called Moss Side, and Moss Side at the time was the roughest estate or ghetto in in the UK. Um, myself and my sisters being the only Caucasians, you know, we draw at- attention to ourselves, and so I, I found myself fighting a lot at an early age, just protecting myself and protecting my, my siblings. Um, so. I was starting to take shape as a character. Um, my father, <laughs> my father, as I said, got custody of us, and we moved back down uh, south of England to a town called Aldershot, which at the time was the home of the British Army. Um, it wasn't uncommon to see everyone in uniforms. You know, everyone's parents or dads or mums were, were were serving in, in the military. So actually, for us, what was alien was the civilian world. We weren't used to this. It we was just so used yeah. to. Dad's going away on tours, you know, seeing lads jumping out the skies and everything else. But although I was in that environment, it never—it was never something I thought, "Oh, I want to do that when I'm older." You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, thankfully for me, my father never forced that on me either. He never had aspirations of me continuing the family tradition. Um, it was only when. We've, we finished I finished school, and again, talking about my dad being old school, he would not let me go out and play until I did all my homework. He was very strict, very military, um, even even at home. And so I went to college and you know we, we then had like free periods. and I was like, oh, I've got free period. know I wasn't used to that. And the free periods used to sort of extend to the point where I was really losing interest in, in my college education. As a young boy on family holidays, we used to always go to Nuki surfing, so it was now the summer um, when I was at college and i decided well let's let's go down to nuki nuki um back in the early nineties was you know, it was the Ibiza of the UK. That's where all the young sort of teenagers and young adults would, would go and have a good time. So, but my intentions were actually to go surfing, whereas my friend's intentions were to go out and party. Um, you didn't want, anything, father, to yeah, you didn't
0: want exactly.
1: anything to do with it. Yeah, huh? exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, I, I did, but I just love I love the war. I just saw it as an opportunity to, You know, we talk as the story progresses. I'm more natural in the water than i am on land i just I'm, I'm a water baby as my mom used to say um
0: can i um can cool. i ask you can i ask you something about your family because we're going to get into a lot of other things and i don't want to trail off too hard on this because i was thinking about this yesterday i'm going okay you know everybody asks me you know he dean tells this story he t- you know he's on all these podcasts he's he's doing all this press and i'm like but i want to i i need to ask you some things that are maybe a little different because that's kind of what i do, do here and yeah. Um, you're like, anything, please, different conversation. <laughs> Give it to me, please. Because I know at this point you must feel like you're repeating yourself just on like tape. And yeah. so I, when you talk about the separation with your um, your your dad and your mom, I found that really interesting because if most people don't understand when it comes to custody, they very rarely, if I'm not mistaken, give the father the custody over the mother. Right. Um, and I know this is a personal part in your life. So at any point, please let me know to, you know, back off a bit. But you, I didn't hear much after you got, once your dad got custody and you moved down, I didn't hear very much about your mom. And you didn't really touch on that. And the reason I want to ask is because, you know, for me, I'm a mom and you have children. And so the idea of being separated from my son and what that would look like, I, I just I'm curious. Do you still speak with your mom? Do you do you have a relationship with her now?
1: Yeah, I do. I do speak to my mom at the time. So when when my dad got custody, like we were probably 240 miles Distance from Manchester to, to mm-hmm. Holder Shot. Uh, my mum didn't have much money at the time, but obviously now with the children not there, she had to rebuild her life. So she she had to then set her own career. I mean, she ended up working in the prison service. She ended up being a, a prison officer oh, wow. for 20 plus years. But during that period, you know, she, she didn't have much money. So she couldn't really afford to travel down to see us as, as much as my father was doing every weekend. So it, it really became probably the maximum. Time I would see my mum was probably twice a year at, at maximum, um,
0: oh, and that was wow. probably during
1: the, the summer holidays. But we sort of got—it's not because we didn't love—we we didn't love her. It was just the way, yeah, the way life was. My dad then met a um, another lady, Penny, who, who then became almost like my my step You know, so she was—I I knew I had my mum, but Penny would used to feed us, you know, and, and look after, do the stuff that my my dad my dad couldn't do. But then years sort of went on and it was, it was just the occasional one trip a year, you know. So I, I've never had Christmas with my mother since I was the age of nine, uh, nine. And wow. I, yeah, it's just something I've, I've, I've got used to. I, I joined the army um, at 17. You know, I went on and, and joined the military. When my sister, my, I have two sisters. Um, That's right. One is, one is a year younger than me and the other is about four years younger. The my other the, the middle sister, she um when she was old enough, she went to live with my mum. You know, she went and moved up okay. with my mum and became a prison officer as well. So she ended up building a relationship um with her. But for me, once I joined the military, you know, it wasn't just my my yeah, mum, it was, it was my father as well. You probably hear from me, you know, maybe twice a year, one's Christmas and one's your birthday. Um yeah. my, my dad sort of knew that. You know, when you're in the military, you just don't disturb them. You know, he was a military man himself. You know, he what he knew I was busy. No, no news was good news in our family. You know, if you didn't hear from me, you know, all was good. But uh, yeah, going back to my mother, you know, even even to now, I would. Uh, she then moved over to Spain, so we would only go see her once once a year. Which sounds, you no, know, it sounds difficult, but something I've been used to from a young age. It's not that I don't have a mum, but I don't,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I don't have that relationship as. Maybe others on others, other listeners do that. They have to see their mum every Sunday. Mum likes to cook mm-hmm. a, a big dinner. My mum's, you know, come from quite a rough background as well. And she, you know, is probably where I've got my um, scrappiness from. Yeah, yeah, from my father. Yeah, probably more from my mother than my father, actually. Yeah. So <laughs> that's where the temper comes from yeah. It's just, yeah, more- but you know
0: what? It's the motherly temper. I don't care what anybody says. When mom says something and she means it, there's a tone change, and oh, yeah. that thing is effective.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, my, my my father would be in his voice, my mother would be in his her look. You know, just oh. just, just the one look. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And and I so we we do have a relationship. It's just something I've, I've just been used to you know I from a young age I, I didn't have that motherly figure there, and I've sort of got yeah. got on with life. And then I joined the military, and like I said, when I joined the military, it wasn't just my mum, my sisters, or my dad. You know, I just that was my new family. You know, that was something I. I, I enjoyed so much. Even when you had summer leave, I still wouldn't go home. I'd just be off, off with a lad somewhere.
0: See, that's it's, it's that's where I think our similarities come in. I had that experience at a young age as well. I left when I was 17, joined the military when I was 18. And it's not that you don't, my parents, it's funny because now they're like, I get it, you, you're busy. And I was like, yeah. yeah, I was blowing things apart. You don't understand. There's no time to like, hey mom, how's shopping today? It's like, I don't, it's not that I just don't even have time. It's to be completely fair and honest. It's not. I didn't really give a shit.
1: Yeah, yeah. But no, like, what bit, am I supposed to
0: talk about with you?
1: <laughs> you know, in in reflection, you know, when I'm older, I probably think I was a little bit selfish and uh, thing. But it's it's a work hard, play hard environment. So you worked hard. You then don't want to be going. I mean, no, sat down with your mum having a cup of tea. Over, you know, I mean, you, you want to be out with the lads and sort of letting letting your hair down if you had any hair at the time. But um,
0: well, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: But that is that no. So you answered your question. We still have a have a relationship. We don't feel like we have to. Call you're, each other. There. You you're, there. you're there. She knows you're there. You guys
0: yeah. are a part of the family. You yeah. communicate when you communicate. I guess the reason I wanted to bring that up is because I, you know, it, that's one thing I didn't see much of, and I wasn't sure if there was a, a falling out. And not that it's any of my business, no. but it's always something I'm interested in in the family dynamic, and that comes back to me for, you know, mental health and 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 um, how we raise our children and, and what that, you know, helps them develop into. And so I wasn't sure if there was like a part of you, you know, where, because I did, when I was reading and I was listening, you know, the, I totally understood, like you guys came from a, when you lived with your mom, you guys came from pretty much nothing. Yeah. And so I wasn't sure if there was a riff within that because you did choose going back to, you know, where you were, sorry, where I totally rudely interrupted you, but I will continue uh-huh. to do um where you know where you were got custody given to your dad and you were the one that made that decision on behalf of your sisters I mean I didn't know if there was a resentment there or anything like that
1: my my my, my middle sister I won't lie that you know we you know we've sometime clashed before and that that discussion has been brought up and then you know over a few drinks with my mum in Spain you sort of talk about you know hindsight and it's like well so the way I saw it, that I was leaving gave her an opportunity to have a career rebuild. But then she always said, "Well, no, even if you were there, I still would have done it anyway." So you just uh-huh. you just don't know. It's just the way, the way it was. It was it was panned out. But one thing that I, I took from my mother actually, when I did join the military, she she was the one who highlighted to me that I was following on my dad's path, and was like, "No, you take take your own path." So I'll always thank her. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's, I, that's beautiful. Sorry. I, I just, I, I find it fascinating when you, when you find out when you're talking with someone and you, and you talk to somebody with such excellent caliber as you, and to hear that it's not like you came from some private school where you were spoon fed, because honestly, I feel like if you did, you would have been soft as hell. And, yeah. to, you know, I heard I, when you were talking, there was a point where you got soft. And then I laughed a little bit because I know when that happened to me, I can almost pinpoint the day where I got out and I was like, Oh, I'm soft. Oh, I'm so soft. This is embarrassing. I can't be around myself right now. So I I totally, I totally, um, it resonated with me in that sense. So I wanted to bring that up. But yes, please go ahead. So you left, you went to college, you decided you were going to go surf instead, which yeah. was fun.
1: Yeah. And, and then my father would, you know, this was 1994, long before we had, we had any sort of technology you know, community. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my father, I, I'd met a guy in, in the water, a guy called Jan, who was surfing in the day I and mean, then he was working in the evenings and breakfast just a silver service waiter and you know he said you know i get 30 pounds a day you know 10 pounds to pay for my hostel i get fed twice a day and i get 20 pounds and i thought brilliant that's, that's good money <laughs> when you're, when you're seventeen. yeah i'll do that so i i, I sort of did that I, I started working with him and then my friends went my dad came down to pick me and my friends up but i just didn't want to get into a, an altercation with my father because he, i knew he'd win He'd win me over and He'd I'd fold be in you, the
0: fold it, you like a piece of clothing with you in it? Situation.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. You'd have me in the boot. Um, you know what I mean? So, um, so I just didn't get in, into that situation. So my friends went back and my dad's like, well, where is he? And they're like, he's like, he's, he's in Nuki somewhere. So six months later, passed my father and came back looking for me and found me in a, in a surf shop um, working away. And again, uh-huh. That. I, I, I'm very respectful of my father. I've never swore in front of my father. I don't like to get into arguments. And I, I could see it wasn't the disappointment, but it was like, I know he didn't have an education, and I, you always want the best for your children. I think he, me Christ. being the eldest, he wanted me to go to college and then to go to university and, and things like that. But I just I, I didn't. And so you could see the, the not the disappointment, but almost like, well, what, what are you going to do now? And to silence him, I said, well, I'll join the military. Uh, at the time, I was sixty-five <laughs> kilos and about five foot seven, so I could see and now understand his response, which was, "You would last two minutes." Um, again, you know, we talk about where I am now and from then, you know, did he did he mean those words or were they just clever words to motivate me? You, you, you oh. just don't know. Um, but I, well, I, I,
0: know- I sorry, I, I keep talking over you, but I, oh. I think your dad was. I feel like your dad is not a dumb man by even like the the long stretch here. So I feel like there was part of him that knew you enough to know that if I could just catch his attention with a comment like that, that might've been enough to get your ass into gear.
1: Yeah. I feel like. I think so. We were, Cause we were quite competitive. I liked sport and, uh, you no, know, he knew I, li- I liked sport and I wonder whether that was the, well, I'll drop that one in and, and, and see what happens. But I, the fact that I still talk about it, now you know um 24 years later is yeah people say to me you know what would you say to your son and i, and I understand words are quite powerful and I, I probably wouldn't use those words i'd probably do it in, in, <laughs> another, in another manner um but that's what he did and you know he said that and i thought well i'm not there's no point in getting into an argument you know we'll go back home and my father you know he, he was still in Aldershot, shop which was home of the british army so the careers office was only 400 meters from his office so I I walked in on the Monday morning and I don't know if it's the same with your career's office but you know you, you tend to go in with ideas of what you want to join and then the recruiters are from different backgrounds and they will always try and poach you to today yeah
0: ours is a little it's it's similar in that sense but I remember because I I did exactly what you did I went to college yeah. and then within like two months like I actually went to try out for the football team and I made it halfway through and then they're like you know you need to work on some of your technical skills I was like okay well this is why I'm here so if this isn't going to work out I'm not really the partying type and then I was like I'm going to join the military and I walked into the recruiting office and I walked right up to the first person there and I said I want to join the army and I I don't come from a military family I said I want to join the army and they're like okay Here's everything. We didn't get the, we didn't get the conversation of like, go Air Force, go Army, go Navy kind of situation. There wasn't any of that. It was, this was in 2007, like the end of 2007. So this is when we were, we switched over from NATO forces, uh, sorry, correction, from peacekeeping in Afghanistan as Canada to um, NATO ISAF. So they're like, we don't care really what you want. We are dagging this one red, this one red, and this one red, pick one.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay, got it. Yeah, well, I, uh, yeah, well I, I didn't really have much of an idea about the military. I, I, I'd known, I'd okay. you know, seen what my friends' dads w- were in as well. But in Oldershot, which is the home of the, the British Army, which is very airborne heavy, I'd never even heard of the Royal Marines or the Special Boat Service or even the Royal Navy, really. Um, so I didn't really go in there with an idea or any sort of knowledge of what what the, what the military okay. was and, wh- and who sat where and who did who did what so that's obviously why the where the the um the person in there was that joined the parachute regiment. now they're, they're, you know we, perfect yeah,
0: exactly
1: I thought, oh again that sounds good you know he sold that to me you know at 17 <laughs> you're quite vulnerable that else where do I sign so I did I, I came out my uh, went to my father's office I said oh, I'm joining the parachute regiment. he's like oh, you're bloody not and he, he just marched me straight back in but I, it was only then that he then made me aware about you can go airborne engineers, commando engineers. He yeah. was thinking short term. He thought I'll probably only be in for three years. Get as much as you can yeah. from that experience. You know, I always wanted to be a fireman. That was my always bit my my plan. So I thought, well, if I get three years in the military, get that done, then it gives me it'd be great to add to my CV. Like stepping
0: stone, almost yeah, stepping
1: stone to the fire brigade. So that's where my head was at the time. Um, and Then you then go choose what trade you want to do, and then you know I then past all them, I had the option to choose whatever. And you know, I was sort of thinking with my penis of wow, bomb disposal sounds sexy. You know, the women will love that. This is long before If you're that- alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was long before <laughs> there wasn't really any threats over Northern Ireland, I think, at the time. Or yeah. Or or, or um, diffusing all World War II bombs found in the countryside, you know. With in- a bayonet,
0: you don't feel yeah. like just lying on your belly poking at things to see what happens next.
1: Yeah, exactly. And my dad's that like, no, you know, and you know, he then Told me about the trades and things like that. So he was, he was quite instrumental in the in the early stages about what cat badge to go and then what trade. You know, he was thinking what I could get as an individual from the military rather than mm-hmm. what what I uh, yeah pretty much. That. Um-
0: and your dad and you and you mentioned this at the beginning of the book your dad you you explained that he's he was always in like track suits and he's a footballer so how does that work what do what do you mean explain that to me because i'm assuming it means he he's more on the sports side so in canada we have we have a thing called SISM, which okay. is like um military olympics teams okay, kind yeah. of situation okay. so you're an athlete for the military
1: right okay yeah yeah well what it used to be in the military is, you've got those who play professional sport, as in in the civilian sector and mm-hmm. it's normally the ones who didn't tend to make that grade you know you, they, they wanted to join the military but within the military you have sport you have sport you can play for the army you can play for the navy you can play for the air force but also while you're in the military you no. Know, for example i'll give an example nigel ben who's a very famous boxer you know he, boxed yeah. when he was in the military kelly holmes who's won numerous gold medals. You know, she was in the military, Chris Akabusi. So the military oh, wow. was almost a platform for them that they could, we oh, call okay. it almost like being semi-professional is the fact is <laughs> the military's um, facilities and, uh, and things like that, but you tended to find that that was you. If you were, if you were very good at sport, I, I joined up with a friend of mine, uh, Frank Green, um, and he was an excellent rugby player. And I saw him yeah. twenty. you know, I saw, you see him now 22 years later and his career has just been rugby, 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 rugby. Um, You know, okay. they, they do that. So, and then there's been, um when I was playing football in Germany, you know, with the teams there, there was guys who were being scouted by professional football teams and they would get bought out by the military. So it was almost... A platform. If you hadn't made oh, wow. it the first time that you you, you could do it, you could do it through through the military. <laughs>
0: round two, round two. Let's try this again. When you got yeah. some money and some support, let's try again.
1: Exactly. In the we we used to have a thing in the military. It's called Sports Afternoon every Wednesday. So oh. units would play sports against each other. And, you know, you have the, the Army Cup. So you'd obviously have to play other teams to get out the the, the box in. You know, there, there's there's so much. Now, obviously this was this was more pre nine eleven. I think once 9-11, yes. the operational tempo took over, but this was more when it, it was going on exercises around the world and peacekeeping and things like that. We had mm-hmm. the capability to then have sports afternoons and things like that, you know. So we, we our sergeant major, when I got to 5-9 commando, you know, he wouldn't let us do sport unless it was a recognized sport. So we set up our own surfing team. Oh,
0: what does that mean? Yeah, yeah,
1: so we had a surfing team so we could go surfing on Wednesday afternoon, yeah.
0: So it could be a rec. It had to be a recognized sport, but you guys counted surfing as a recognized sport.
1: Yeah, we did. We just set up our own team, and you know, sent one of the guys on a lifeguard course. And and actually, I think at the time the RAF were the, uh, the Royal Air Force were the were the yeah. uh, tri service surfing champions. So it was a it was a sport, but that's obviously because they throw their surfboards on the aircraft when they fly around the world
0: i feel i feel like i'm from uh, i'm part of the commonwealth here and i haven't got to hear any of this cool shit like it has not made it across the pond to our military and i feel like i'm being really left out here all of a sudden this is very unfortunate but i'm excited for you because it sounds like you had a a well-rounded way of looking at things that you know your dad was military but he had that side of him that he realized that you know it wasn't the end all be all there was a lot of things you could do within that and he didn't just say okay you're going to jump out of planes and that's you for life now go there go your knees
1: yeah there is there's, there's so many takeaways from the military and skill sets you develop you, you didn't think you know um, you know you get lots of qualifications within the military as in military qualifications you get so many civilian qualifications you Now, i'm very fortunate i'm a a yacht master i'm a dive master i'm a ski instructor stuff that you know people would spend years trying to do and you just get it whilst being in the military and
0: spend so much money trying to get it as well you gotta, yeah, just, exactly. you gotta yeah, get a certified yeah, yeah. person you, you gotta just... pay for all the equipment you're yeah.
1: and that's the great thing about the military is they have access to all those facilities and all that equipment which you, you know what i mean yes you, your wages aren't great while you're in the military but what you no. what you could be paying for is very different
0: hmm that makes sense, though. So so your dad, you said he was a footballer?
1: He was a footballer. He was the Army football manager, coach, uh, and player. So uh, growing up, um, before I joined the military the last few years, I, I would see him just out with the Army football team, just playing football all, all the time. So we, as we said, a tracksuit soldier. But because when I then joined the military, I, I'd finished my basic training, and I um, the uh, someone recognized my surname because Stotts, not quite a, it's, it's not it's not a smith or a brown or, or things like that so he, he, yeah you know, oh you're not you're not davy stocks boy and i was like oh yeah i am He's that right great footballer where you wait and that and my posting my first posting was to germany which is the army football champions in there and it was literally probably because of my surname rather i was than just
0: gonna say
1: <laughs> um yeah so that so that's what i did and i went i went over to germany and I um, found myself working in the gym, I was a PTI, um, quite young actually. You know, my, my Sergeant Major at the time knew that I would just be playing football, so he had to satisfy his, his regimental um, staff, staffing list that right, I need to put someone in the gym, so, you know, you go do that. So yeah, very, within a couple of months of being there, I was back to UK on my PTI course, which was which was good. That was my first little, my first badge.
0: <laughs> your first cat badge. How, how long is your basic training over there?
1: So our, our training differs on cat badges. So we uh the Royal Engineers, you would do 10 weeks basic training, which just takes you from a civilian to be able to polish your boots and fire a weapon mm-hmm. in the right direction. Um, and then you have <laughs> or continu- try to. Yeah, or try to, yeah. Uh, and then you have continuation training within the Royal Engineers, which is 14, 14 weeks, which is all your combat and en- engineering from water supply no chainsaws to demolitions. At the time, there was booby traps, because it was pre-Diana. Pre um, so all a bridge building, you, you, you do it all within that 14, 14 weeks. And then you, then you then if you need to get a driving license, you go do your driving course. And then if you then doing your trade course, so our trade courses in the engineers range from six months to 18 months. So from a Royal engineer wow. coming in, yeah, but I, I didn't do my trade course straight away. I went straight out to Germany. You know, if you trade, there's not a slot then you wait for a, few, a future date. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, so it can be quite, quite extensive depending on what cat badge, you know, if you join the Royal Marines, you go from a civilian to a Royal Marine in nine months. Um, so it varies, it varies.
0: Mm-hmm. I know I was, I had a, my actual very first guest on the show was a Royal Marine. Oh, yeah, and um, uh, I can't say his last name. He won't let me say his last name. His name's James, but I'll uh, I'll send you I'll send you afterward because he's uh, he lives here now. He All married right. a Canadian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He married a Canadian, which is really funny. Um, and I actually met him because his wife was my server at a restaurant. We got shooting the shit, and she's like, "You're in the military." And then I found out he was on the same operation that we were. We were both on the same op that we both got messed up on, and so. It was an interesting conversation talking to a Royal Marine because I, I hadn't had any clue as to the levels that the British military had for special operators. It, yeah. it, I thought it was very much similar to the same as Canada with the JTF, the seesaw. And there is, mm. there is, sorry, there's no similarity at no, all. No, no, in you yeah,
1: guys. yeah, Different tiers and yeah, there's, there's all sorts. Yeah. Of, yeah. No, it is, yeah true.
0: So you saw the tears and you're like, I'm a fuck it, right to the top. You're not, you're not going to hang around. Well, no, I, I, I didn't.
1: I didn't see that at first. I, after a year of playing football in Germany, it was. I enjoyed going to Germany actually, because Germany is now shut down for the UK forces. They're all in on UK. So at the time, oh, okay. you know, There was there was advantages of being in Germany. You got more money for being there. You know, technology was cheap, cars were cheap, and everything else. And beer was cheap. You know, I mean, so I, I I enjoyed my time there. But <clears throat> I could see myself following my father's footsteps, and that's where like I said my mother said, look. No, there's alternative options and so at this point i i you know i'd, I'd grown as an individual i i sort of developed i wasn't now 65 kilos it was probably more about 80 80 kilos okay and things that so i was becoming more confident in myself and and my abilities and i looked at the all arms commando course and and that's what i did I, I then went over to to uk and started that process um, Obviously, there was a bit of a blip in between that. I got into an altercation in Germany before I went over um, fighting some fusiliers, and uh, that subsequently I ended up with, uh, spending some time in Colchester prison after I'd finished my commando course. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Can so, we I talk
0: to... about that.
1: Yeah, please do. Yeah. 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 I haven't quite. Okay.
0: Because uh, I don't know how it works over there in terms of that, but I know, I mean, the, 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 the severity of what it would take for um, a Canadian to be put in somewhere like Colchester is not as little as a fight. I mean, my God, they would do, you know, a few hour crick dresses for like, you know, 48 hours where you're changing every, every hour and you're, you're marching everywhere. But I mean, to, to put somebody into an actual military prison system... Mm-hmm why was it just one fight Were they trying to acknowledge that drinking was an issue and they were taking it very seriously or it just no. feels like a disproportionate result for a little thing
1: yeah no we we have what you've just touched on there it's called rops restriction of privileges where like you said you get, oh, okay. get changed. yeah we we have that no i think it's because um it actually the guys ended up in hospital it was it was free Free serious mm. assaults, you know, uh, on on these guys. So but you didn't
0: just punch them. No, no, the no. Face. It wasn't like a
1: punch, and you know. But they, I think, that going back slightly, these guys were there on a, a assault engine, a pie, assault pioneer course, which is an engineering mm-hmm. course, which they they train the infantry. They'd already been in trouble numerous times downtown, um, so they were, <laughs> they, were, they weren't allowed to go downtown. So they had to stay on camp and then one of the squadrons had just come back from Northern Ireland and they decided to have a family party in the camp bar, which obviously then alongside these, these infantry lads, it just then starts turning into, into a bit of trouble. But they were actually being very rude to some of the wives and, and not even like trying to hide it. It was quite vocal. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so me and my friend just yeah, s- swept the floor with them. Um, uh, <laughs> And my my sergeant major was great, said, so "Look, you lads, just go to bed, you know, sleep on it," uh, which I did. But then, unfortunately, about an hour later, big knock on the door, and it was the the military police. So, from our side, we were happy to to let it go. From their side, wow. their, their their troop sergeant was like, ah, "Well, I've got guys here, you know, with black eyes, cuts, and bruises. Couple in hospital." He uh, he 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 wasn't happy. <laughs> so uh, did
0: they did they have to go as well to Colchester? I mean, if they're the ones that instigated it, oh oh
1: yeah no no so what had happened is when i then when i i i went over to uk to do my um it's called a beat up so before we start the commander course the unit runs their own in-house they call it a beat up so basically they get you ready physically and mentally and admin wise your kit prepared before you go on the all-arms commander course it's actually harder than the commander course itself so on week two of that we're up in in wales running up and down the mountains and uh the one instructor said you have got to go back to Germany. They're doing an ID parade. This thing this thing was ramping up quite quick. I thought at least a few months before this this lands on my desk. And it wasn't yeah. went back, had an ID parade. So the those who were involved were the other the unit and then myself and a, a good friend of mine. Um his brother was in the same squadron and he <laughs> they didn't pick, they didn't pick him out. I was like, all right. So they didn't pick him out. I, my ears were still sticking it's out. It's your I, ears. Yeah, 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 But I was also the PTI. I was the unit PTI. So I'd taken these guys for physical training. So they mm-hmm. they knew who I was straight away. So I, I got picked out. My mate um, didn't, you know, and I kept quiet. Um, but everyone within the unit knew these guys were at fault and it wasn't us, you know. So I didn't get any sort of real uh punishments you know I, I you know everyone from the commanding officer down knew that these guys were wrong and they also knew that i hadn't spoken out about my friend i could have done that but what's the point in we're that we
0: out of the mouth yeah. well yeah well yeah, yeah. i mean you would have had a buddy you would have had a buddy
1: yeah, yeah, yeah well snitches get stitches as they say when you go to
0: school. oh <laughs> well, <laughs> that the counts over there too huh
1: yeah, yeah you know so so i got a lot of respect for not not doing that um and yeah, you know, unfortunately these guys who should have gone as well, didn't. You know, they did just walked into the wrong bar with the wrong guys. Up. That's all it was. Um, but actually when I went to Colchester Prison, um, you, you go in there. So Colchester Prison has a variety of people there. They also actually have young offenders that's in from civilian sector in, in there as well. Oh, have, wow. Yeah, they have a, a unit with the young offenders. They have 28 days and under. So twenty eight. So you could go to Colchester Prison for... Um, AWOL you know guys maybe yep. drugs drugs as well there, there's all sorts of people and all the way up to like serious assault uh, fraud as well you know putting the wrong mileage on your on your claim forms that was a that was a oh, big wow one. That, was, that was bigger than any sort of assault or anything else was actually fraud fraud against the military um, i remember because chef- you're
0: paid so poorly
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, increase the pay and we'll have less people in Colchester. <laughs> right. but, but, yeah, but for me, in the, in the, you know, this was 97, you know, you, you go in there, the instructors are all guardsmen and and they know who's, who's who. They know those who don't want to be in the military, you know, um, and those that are literally just got caught out. And that's, and that's what they said. They said, you just got caught. That was it. So. That's it. Thankfully, no, <laughs> for me, it was very early in my in my career. I finished my commando course, went to Colchester Prison. Um, when I finished there, you know, it's amazing about Colchester, the fact that you, you, you have a room inspection on a Monday by the, the officer commanding. And whoever gets the best room gets the radio for the week. And it's amazing what morale a radio, two hours of radio in the evening does does for you so mm-hmm. and, and that's your incentive when 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 you're in there um but for me I I, I learned a lot of lessons in there I, I enjoyed it I I I just took as much as I could from that experience uh, military wise and made sure I didn't do it again and unfortunately there's people who go to Colchester later on in their career and it has more of an impact on their career you know at that time yeah in life it didn't really I was still young enough that it wasn't you know I didn't lose any rank or, or anything like that
0: How old were you when you were there?
1: So I was 20. 20 when I was there. Oh,
0: so you, yeah, you were still, so you were still fairly young and you didn't have... You didn't have uh-huh. massive, massive loss to have happen here. Cause I know the rank systems, I know when it comes to like, if you really mess up, I've never, you were actually the first person that I'd ever read about or heard about going to a military prison for something like that. I normally, I mean, I've only ever heard of like, they'll, they'll be deranked, they'll go down a rank. And then, you know, there's ramifications within that, but I've never actually heard of someone going and being taken somewhere, especially for something like that. But yeah. I, I guess using you as an example, I mean, you're already recognizable enough to the rest of your people people they're like hey well this is what's going to happen to you it makes a lot yeah. of sense i can understand that yeah i can yeah. understand that so
1: yeah. i i came back from that and i just joined five nine commando and thankfully for me the admin officer you know he looked at my report and he, you know he was old school as well he, he'd been in trouble when he just didn't get caught uh, and he, you know, <laughs> he just ripped up my report and he said fresh start you know and that for me was was perfect you know, you know draw a line in, in the sand I, I always say you know who would you rather step off the back of the helicopter with someone who can polish his boots and see his face or someone who's obviously got a bit of history so,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. I can agree with you on that on so many levels yeah on so many levels so you you did all of this and once you finished there what kind of happens is there like you said you know that he ripped up the the paperwork and but was there an actual mark on your record did you ever find out if that had any sort of ramifications
1: yeah we we have a medal in the UK it's called long service good conduct um so basically you have to 15 years of exemplary military so Mm. no restriction of privileges no charges and things that and after 15 years you get your long service good conduct so so what that meant is I would have had to start my 15 years from that you know I didn't get my LSGC but no am not too really worried about that.
0: Woo <laughs> yeah. you know like I, I would rather like like you said I would rather come out with stories
1: than yeah, I would come yeah. out with
0: another medal to pin onto my jacket.
1: We, we, we used to joke when you used to see like characters who you know were clearly got in trouble. Yeah. LSGC and <laughs> yeah. that LSG like, just to shake your head at them as that.
0: Buddy, you just haven't been caught. You just yeah, were not yeah. caught. And, and,
1: and that's all it was. You know, everyone was, not everyone was doing it, but at the time, you know, when you're in the military environment, you've got a lot of testosterone, and then you start mixing units together. It's naturally there's going to be, you know, issues and altercations. Um, it's just those that have uh, character, you know, Big ears, or tattoos, <laughs> or things, yeah, yeah, things that like, stand out, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> yes. Recognizable features, problem.
1: basically. That's my problem. It wasn't anything else.
0: Well, I mean, I feel like you're not the standard for a special operator. Um, I think when we you kind of got into your book a little bit more, but for people who are kind of listening to this, the more standard operator is is that that six foot tall just huge huge looking kind of scary dude but that's Mm. not actually the case i've worked with special operators from the british military and half of them are not too much taller than me and i'm five foot but my god can they just move
1: yeah that's It's, it's it's unassuming you know everyone has this perception of you know as you said, six foot four and breathes fire. And it's like, oh, well, no, <laughs> yeah. that's, not, that's just unfortunate. It's the way the, the TV and the movies have, 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 have their perception on, on on special forces. You know, we tended to find it in the UK military, especially like the Royal Marine Commandos and the Commandos, they tended to be a bit, bit stockier, bigger lads, because they used to carry, on their courses, they carry more weight. They don't go as fast, but they, they used to carry in weight, whereas the the paras the airborne lads would carry less weight but a lot quicker so they're a little mm-hmm. bit shorter and the, the bit shorter guys nibble. yeah yeah so you see when you went on selection you'd see all, all shapes and sizes um it's interesting. very interesting on day one to say right could you do you make your own assessments you know, but then mm-hmm. six months later and there's like a handful of you and you're like I, I wouldn't i would not have picked half of these on day one
0: you were supposed to be gone day one you look like you couldn't run to save your yeah. life
1: oh yeah yeah and like you say that's where you know we get on it later it's 80 percent mental 20 physical yeah oh yeah.
0: all day long it's it's, it's no different can't.
1: yeah
0: that's the terrifying part that's why I think I find you so fascinating is you're not you don't have the typical you, you don't have that look where I'd be like he will, he will fuck me up before I move. Like there's no, like I, you don't have that. And I think that's what makes you so unique and, and so receptive to the general public is you don't really have that. Like I straight up murdered so many people. You have this, like I'm a father. I'm a, a you know, I'm a soft looking gentleman. I'm not a, you know, you just don't have that about you. And I think that's, what's allowed part of you to maybe transition really well into civilian life is you just don't look horrific. And I think that's a compliment if you're going to take it that way.
1: Yeah, I think I can dress up and dress down accordingly to to, to that. That would you know? have been
0: a better way to say it. Yeah yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I know I, I, I have sleeves, you know, of tattoos. Yes. As, as you said, when I, when I'm working in the civilian sector, I know when to when when to sort of cover them. You know, I don't have I don't have a, like a, a swallow's on the on the inside of my my thumb or a teardrop on me on my would eye. Don't you
0: judge my hand tattoos? You got you don't <laughs> have the face you don't have the face tattoos to go along with the badassness of yourself. <laughs> yeah. No. That's all right. We'll get we'll get you there. We'll get you there. Don't worry about it. We got you. So tell me. So tell me some more. So you do this. You get a Colchester, and then you decide you're going to go on course. How does this work? What's this look like?
1: So yeah. So I would have already done. I just finished the commando course, and yep. you know, the squadron were in Northern Ireland at the time, and the and the, the admin officer was like, ah, right, you guys are going across the water, and I thought, brilliant. I'm on my first tour to Ireland, and then I mean, obviously I went to Colchester prison. So I when I came back, the rest of the guys were still in Northern Ireland. So. We call it rear party there's those that are on tour I and mean, there's those back in the unit so i was on rear party at the time and so i took advantage of that you know i managed to get on my um my diving aptitude course which oh that's were, right yeah there would have been a, a big waiting list because the guys know this was the course where you can get more money you know it's very mm-hmm. Physically uh, heavy course, um, so you no. Know, naturally, the airborne lads and the commando lads like like to do that. So I very quickly got my ma- my name on that course, and 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 came back from that. And then obviously, for me, I'd not yet met anyone within this unit, and they all then came back from Northern Ireland, and it's the whole <laughs> welcome back party. And you could see people, you know, there's there's rumours the guys are oh, wait till such and such season, like they're almost like the the unit bullies, I thought, here we go. And but it was no different. There's diff-
0: always some of them. Yeah,
1: exactly. But it was no, it was no different from being in the playground in Moss Side in Manchester or oldershot or back in the bar in Germany. You know, I held my own and I think that's all they wanted to see. Um that's the problem with bullies, you know, if you hit back then they didn't they didn't expect that. Um but then I found myself on the boxing team. Uh, you know, I, I obviously ticked all the credentials that they were looking for. Um And the unit were the army minor units uh, boxing champions. So each year they would win; they automatically went through to the final. They didn't have Mm -hmm. to fight anyone off. So from the January through to the March, we would train solidly for three months. um, So,
0: so I get that you used to like fight in school. I get Mm -hmm. that. Like I I understand, like protecting your siblings. I I respect the hell out of that. Um, But then it, from what I heard that. There wasn't really any boxing in your life, so they just had, figured you you hit people and you're no, good at it.
1: I had done a little bit of boxing in, in Guildford where, when I was growing up. You know, my friend okay. Christian at school wanted to do some, so I, I I went with him. And my father was was actually against it, and but I always said, look, when I lose, then I'll stop. You know, luckily I never lost. I never had okay. fights, so I had a little bit of a boxing skill. But actually, when I joined the unit, it was there, there's not really yes there we we did we learned how to box and things like that. but it was pure aggression and physical and that's what it was probably the fittest time I've been around. and it's just you know there's no there's no um, there's no elegance there's no butterflies no sting like a bee yeah. and no butterflies it wasn't it was just full-on you know kill the opponent in front of you I was uh, just
0: gonna say you have to win because if you lost yeah. how embarrassing would that have been for you
1: Well, that that was it. And and this was my first opportunity in front of the unit. And obviously, you've got the guys that are from the unit and guys that have been posted out to training regiments and everything else all coming back to this big event. And it's all messed (laughs) up. I know you you have the the buglers from the Royal I'm I'm
0: picturing all of this in my head right now. (laughs) here's,
1: Here's my opportunity to sort of shine in front of the unit. And there's seven fights on the evening. And we should have from our track record, should have been well ahead by the interval. The interval was after the four-fight, and it was two-all going into the second half. And I remember the Sergeant Major, a good friend of mine actually now, Mark Wilson, and he came in, and he, he, was, he was livid. He wasn't livid with the boxers. He was just like, ah, he, someone needs to silence these lot out there because cause the, the crowd, the opposition crowd had got... They actually, you know, a bit optimistic. Got a little
0: ballsy. Oh yeah.
1: yeah. They're yeah, like, yeah, we, we could actually
0: win this. Yeah,
1: so, so he came in, and it was, you know, into the into the chest of me. You know, you, you know, this <laughs> cool opportunity to shine and that. But for me, so I'm like the adrenaline's going as well. And then I remember, I remember the doors opening. And all I could hear was my, I had my own music going on in the background, but you had the buglers. Mm-hmm. And I think mean, there was tears running down my eye, just purely because of the the adrenaline. And I I went in and um, I was fighting at uh, at middleweight then, so I was 75 kilos, but I managed to keep the the size of my arms. I'd lost it all all around my waist and had quite big legs. And um, someone said when the other other lad took his his gown off, he he, he looked half the size and they're like, But yeah, Ooh, uh, very, you know, it was gonna hurt. Yeah, one minute, one minute thirty, and i knocked him down three times. That was it. It was done. I mean, I think we we then won the other two fights. So it worked out five two in the end. But I always remember that. And a lot of people, you know, I think for me, that was me making my mark within the unit. Um hmm. and that helped me later on
0: anyway. My God, if you would have lost, oh the hell you would have had to pay.
1: Exactly. You know, oh. That's a great thing, you know. <laughs> so It'd be a totally different
0: story. Oh my God. I bet you that, that, could have, that could have literally been the catalyst to a change point for you. Because I feel like if there was no respect for you, there would have been no courses for you. There would have been no giving to you. And, and so I can understand why that would had a lot of weight, yeah. weight on
1: it. No, so isn't. after
0: the win, you go back to this unit and they love you now.
1: All of a sudden, yeah, yeah. So we, you know, I joined the unit. I was in a troop called Condor Troop, and you know, this was in you know where are we now. So 97. This is probably 998. We would just come back from so 98. We would just come back from Norway. Uh, we had the boxing, and then we were then in the in the Mediterranean uh, on the ship uh, out to Spain, Portugal, and and France. I think that later on that year we went to the Caribbean. Um, uh, we were out in Belize. And there was a big hurricane actually that uh, year. there was a big hurricane called hurricane mitch which totally destroyed cancun yeah. and everything else and um and we were supposed to be going cancun so we got pulled out of the jungle where everyone was at and saw the royal marines all heading off to cancun and uh we were sat in the bar in the naffy at, at the camp in belize and i always say you know the, the people with all the information are the cleaners you know always the cleaners or the staff and our, yeah. our, our, our troop staff sergeant was away or whatever, and this cleaner came upstairs and she goes, oh, you guys, the engineers? Like, yeah, yeah. She goes, oh, you, you guys are going on ship tonight. I'm like, well, no, no, we're off to Cancun. And literally, like, two no, minutes no. later, yeah, yeah, no. She goes, no, no. Two minutes later, our, our boss came in. Is that right, lads? We're not going to Cancun. So, you know, the cleaners know more information than us. And, and we did. We, um, yeah. we ended up getting aboard a vessel and heading down to Honduras and Nicaragua and doing hurricane relief. Uh, in in Honduras and Nicaragua, so so it was quite a, quite a busy year really for us. It was a it was it was a good year, um, not so much soldiering wise, but more combat engineering uh, for me. So um, so that year alone, I, I I managed to get Arctic trained, jungle trained, uh, and every now so it, that that was a good start for me there. But when I was in Norway, we have a troop within Five Nine Commando called Reki Troop. Um, mm-hmm. It's a standalone troop which is it's like an elite troop within the unit and they work with Brigade Recce Force from Free Commander Brigade, so with the Royal Marine Snipers, the Mountain Leaders, the um, mm-hmm. Forward operated Gunners from the, um 2-9 Commando and we have the engineer capabilities there. So you have to be selected to go recce troop, they have their own sort of in-house um, selection, so I'd been spotted from my time in Norway and my name had gone Or
0: your ears
1: probably probably spotted for my ears yeah or in the boxing ring one of the two um one of them (laughs) yeah one of them but I think it's it's more on the characters they're like you know because we've all got the same sort of skill sets um and so yeah so very quickly I then moved moved to recce troop um which for me was great because you know I then got my para wings as well being being within that unit so so already my career has gone from being in Germany as a tracksuit soldier, to so join in the commando, <laughs> to the recce troop, and then, you know, other than that, is is you're you're only one 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 step below the UK special forces, but you're sort of heading head funneling in that direction. Um,
0: and and in this time frame, so from the time you were at Colchester to now, how long had that been?
1: Uh, so Colchester was uh, two thousand seven. Uh, sorry, two thousand ninety seven. Um, it was a night... 98 or January 99. January 99 it was, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: So, you, yeah. my God, you had a quick turnaround for
1: everything. Yeah, that's what I mean. I had a really quick, that's I, what I mean. I, I, any sort of, any sort of lull as well in in my career. I always, I always wanted something to look forward to, you know. So, when I used to come mm-hmm. back from exercises, I used to go to the class and just see what courses I could do. You know, I was so so keen to do courses you know someone used to nickname me the course you know because I was always on courses (laughs) Um, but but for me you know it's just to get that experience you know I always say that you can't be experienced about experiences I was I don't like as you know I don't like to be bored I don't have to have a lull no I'm wasting time you know it's like well what can I train for next and and yes. that's what I did. I was just going on courses after course, you know, then did my diving course, your, your advanced diving courses. So during this period, you're also going away, getting these additional qualifications as well.
0: So when all this is kind of happening and this is, you know, like you said, you um, you guys were doing all of this work and you were doing all this hurricane relief and things like that. Where does this incredible wife kick in? How did you meet her?
1: Oh this is later on this is when I was in the special forces yeah so Ah okay so the, we'll
0: wait on that so yeah, run me later, through
1: Yeah that's later on yeah I did have a wife before that you know I won't lie I've you know, been married before Oh
0: you're one of those guys you're like the oh, rangers are yeah. you got a, it's the ranger starter pack you get the ranger panties you get a DUI and you have one divorce
1: Yeah lucky I've never had a DUI um but yeah no I've I've I've, I've had uh, two two previous wives I always say I, I've more baggage yeah, mm-hmm. more baggage than Terminal Five at the airport. Yeah, but my wife, <laughs> I needed to, you know, I needed to go through those. That's what I say. You can't be experienced about experiences. I needed to go through those. You know, got to be
0: married I, a few times.
1: Got to be married a few times. And and to, and to be honest, when we go on, when we talk about Alana, you know, yeah, those early ones with my wives, they weren't, they um, weren't as receptive to my time in the military. It was almost like mm-hmm. you know, they didn't want me in the military. Um, mm. And that was the that was the difference. You know, I love my time in the military as well. So um I d I didn't, you know, had the sort of that, those distractions. Yeah,
0: yeah, but yeah. But yeah. that see, no, it's it's there's nothing wrong with talking, but here's the thing. Okay. I every single special operator I know mm. has at least yeah. one
1: under oh, the yeah, belt. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think mean, I think you, you uh, US special force, I think it's ninety percent uh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah, it, it, yeah. I, I don't know if it's, it's the job or you know it's because it, it, it's very selfish for you when you're in the military to expect someone to be there wait waiting all all the time. You know it takes a certain individual to do that. And I, I respect for the wives that that do do that.
0: I yeah for sure, but I do know that I um I had some conversations with some of those guys recently when I was down in the states in J- in January and. uh I remember them talking about it. So nonchalant. They're like, no, 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 no. Like you have to marry a stripper at one point. Like it's part (laughs) of, it's part of what happens when you're a special operator. Like you got to get, if you don't get the DUI, you got to marry a stripper and then you got to divorce her within the six month period. Then you got to find another stripper that's fallen in love with you. And then your mates tell you that, no, 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 she doesn't love you, but you still don't listen. So you don't quite get married, but you get close to it. But I feel like that's part of this in the military community, you get, you get this idea that, you know, the, the women and the wives will be there when you get back. But, yeah. but in the all reality, and for most of the listeners who don't know this, if you've ever deployed, most of the guys that I've ever deployed alongside, they're either divorced by the time the deployment's over or they're on their way to it or their bank accounts are emptied halfway through the tour and they come home and have to sort that out. And that's not exaggeration. That's just all reality.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. it sounds like a scene out of The Hangover. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Most of these people I know, I'm like, oh, okay, cool, cool. They're like, you've never been divorced? I'm like, no. Yeah. No, 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 it's, no, no, it's, no, man.
1: It's commonplace. Um, you know, with oh, for sure. And as why I always have respect for those that, that haven't, you know, because oh, you know, some of the wives do do get it. Um, but it, it's difficult for them to expect to have put their lives on hold, look after the kids while you... You know, work hard play hard as, as well and, and i think their perception as well when especially when you're flying around the world and things like i think they think it's a lad's holiday and it's like you know, it's far from it it's far yeah, from so
0: it. fun climbing yeah. mountains with 100 pounds on your back it feels like the ideal <laughs> thing to do on a sunday yeah exactly something along yeah. those lines so then you so okay so carry on then
1: carry yeah on. so i joined i joined recce troop and you no, know, we went out to Kosovo, we did a tour of Kosovo, which was the first operational tour for recce troops since the Falklands War. So this is from oh, wow. 1982 now through to uh, end of '99. Um, so that well that was great for us. I mean that's when we started seeing the tempo change in operations with within the UK forces. The I then was very fortunate to be asked to go back as an instructor on the commando course uh, as a young uh, as, a, as a lance corporal. They they promoted me to corporal um, for this. And I remember my commando course being physically hard, um, but, but mentally hard as well, because we didn't learn anything. It was about how cold could you be? How long could you be in that position? If, you, know, with no, you know, we weren't even allowed to wear a Gore-Tex. Um, it was all about fitness. There was no, I took nothing away from that course, as in soldiering wise. Everything I learned soldiering was when I joined my unit. So when I went back as an instructor, like four, you know, four years later, I thought it was the same. I thought the students, we set up our tents, you know, we, we'll be stood on the side and things like that. But And it wasn't. It was totally the opposite, uh, which was great. It was, it was lessons learned. And they probably realized that probably because of the operational tempo was now starting to go. Now, these guys were actually going on operations, not just going on an exercise to the Caribbean or, 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 or the Mediterranean. But... Mm-hmm. What I took from my time on my course is I learned nothing. I didn't really have any respect for any of my instructors, you know because you know for me, they just gave me a hard time for no reason, and I didn't screaming see
0: screaming at you yeah, screaming <laughs> at you
1: and so i i i I didn't want that from from my students because I knew I was going to be working alongside these guys potentially when if if they passed, and we we still had a couple of the instructors who were like that who fought you know the standard procedure was to come out, scream and shout and curse at them and get them in a press-up position for no reason. But you could see their reaction, there wasn't. So I was very much, I'm a sociable character. So I like to sort of joke with them and, and things like that. But um, but if they did mess up, then I would come down hard on them. But you noticed the disappointment in their faces. It almost felt like they'd let you, let you down um, as totally well. Totally different. Yeah, totally different. I was getting more from them. I remember one of the students saying that, of all the instructors, I was the most intimidated. I said, "Why?" And they said, "We just couldn't read you. We just couldn't read you." Like the smiling, they're sad. You're the
0: quiet guy.
1: Yeah, the quiet guy. But then when it went wrong, it went Pete Tong, um, mm-hmm. and and, and, they, and they suffered. But so I, I I I took a lot of things away from that. You know, I, I'd never ask of my students or something that I couldn't do myself, and I'd seen it before where they're asking stupid things of them. And I was like, "Well, you stand there. You do that with them." And so I would always do it with them. Now, before we'd asked them to do anything i would i would do a demonstration as well so they they you again you've got their respect as well
0: um i think the time that you just whipped it out and attached carabiners to your penis was enough yeah. of a respect aspect i yeah. feel
1: like. oh yeah 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 no but, but that's, why, that's why i say we had a good sense of humor with them. you know you know there was so many cuz it because it's a hard enough course for them anyways. So they, yeah. they just don't, they want to go away from there thinking, you know, I actually learned something, I enjoyed myself. And I never know, so I always remember like, because the, the, we used to have students from the army, yeah, students from the Navy. Um, but we also used to have international students as well. So I remember taking the US Marine Corps Gunny Sergeant. We had two guys from Ukraine. We had Lebanese officers. We had all, all, oh, wow. sort, all sorts of characters on there. So some of them had never seen a ration box before or like a, you know, like the MRE, what you call an MRE. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, so that, because obviously from their units they'd never never seen it and and when when, you, when you're when you dealing with naval dentists and doctors, they've probably never seen it either, <laughs> you know, so they wouldn't know what it was. So we used to really have, have fun with them. I remember like opening the box and we'd take the bottom of, you know, the sides to the table and then we cut like a, a mat around it which draped over the front I and mean, then you'd have a, you know, you'd fully open it and, you know, you have stu- you'd have a have one of the instructors underneath and he's like <laughs> pushing a baguette through there and like a bottle of wine and you sort of talk, you know, so you, you had a bit of fun with them. So, again, as you touched on with the, that was the wet and dry drills, which they don't like, is, is that you have to get fully soaked um, and then get into your dry kit. And what we're trying to explain to them then is, is when, when you are on patrols and things like that and do get wet, when you get an opportunity to sleep, you don't sleep in your wet clothes. You need to get into mm-hmm. your dry clothes uh, and things like that. So, so uh, you know, I, I, I had, um, there was a couple of females on the course and it's, it's sort of like, you know, I, I, I said, right, Excuse me, mummy, you're easily offended. I uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh no, Corporal, I've, I've seen it before. Okay. So I just pulled my, my pants down. As, as you mentioned, I had a, a Prince Albert on there and I just stuck a load of diving weights on it. So oh,
0: no! Yeah,
1: it was probably about as, you know, as, as thin as my pen, uh, but it touched the ground and you could see their face. Oh, like <laughs> uh,
0: my God.
1: Then when I talk about attaching the comms cord, I used to do it. So we used to have a bit, bit of fun with them um, a, along the way. Um, but, yeah. but I
0: feel like, honestly, that's type the type of thing that somebody can, if they're, they're sucking and they are being, like you said, they're, they're standing there, they're freezing cold. But if you give them some little bit of positivity or hilarity to hold on to that can make the mind move and and can it can richly distract you to the point where you can push through something you there's no way you thought you could have done before so I respect the hell out of that that the way you look at thing as a as a leader and as a way that you you did your best to not only teach but lead in a way that can be remembered number one some of the best staff members I ever had in the military were terrifyingly quiet
1: yeah
0: and there is something to be said for that quiet gray man in the room because you you're not quite sure what the hell is going to yeah. come down from them but you know that you don't want to find out so if you just do everything you're supposed to you stay squared away then nobody has to deal with that now i can't say that i ever had my sergeant whip his penis out and do that but although he's the type of person that totally would have so yeah. i i don't you know i i respect i respect the way you you saw it for that but i something that I know you've touched on with other people before was having females in your course. Yeah. Um, mm. So I know you had mentioned before that you had the women and I know I've heard your other podcasts, but did you said one of them passed?
1: Yeah. One of them passed. So what happened was, uh, so when I, it was my very first course, when I went down as an instructor and there was a, mm-hmm. I, I can't name her name, but um, of course you had two attempts before and, and, and failed. Um, so you, you get three attempts at the All-Arms Commander course. So, okay. so when I went down, the, the the previous chief instructor, the previous course officer, and some of the instructors got moved out. You know, they'd, they'd been moved out of the course, and then we, we got an, another chief instructor, got another course officer and, and things like that. It's because they were on the course, the two courses that she'd passed. And I don't know whether it was obviously to give, whether she felt that she was being discriminated. I, I, I don't know the politics behind mm-hmm. it. But straight away, there's a change of um, structure within the training team. And th- this lady's coming back. Because she, she. so the all arms commander course is, is is like 10 weeks long. Uh, on week five, you have a thing called the bottom field test. So it's like um, running around the the, the assault course. And I mean, climbing the, the thirty foot ropes and and, and things like mm-hmm. that uh, if you pass that and then on the and then you have an injury or something you come back to that period you come back to week five you don't come back to the beginning so she'd obviously passed that bit, so she joined us on week five, but we had another uh, lady um officer who was actually a a doctor from where I was working in five nine Commander. okay. And she was trained by the PTIs and things like that. And she was, she was really good. You know, she, she gave her all, you know, in, in, in everything. Um, and the only thing with her, unfortunately, she couldn't climb the rope, the 30-foot rope. She was about a foot and a half off, off this rope, so she never pro- progressed. But when, when she then dropped off the course, this other female had then come in to do the second half. But okay. her manner and approach was different from... The, the previous one, she sort of almost played the system. She knew that if she went to the doctor, she would get, get a, like chip. a chip for two days. So she would time it that the chip would be there two days before the commando tests. And I think even if she hadn't, you know, if she hadn't done that and still passed, I don't mean there would have been a, 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 a problem. Um, so, um, yeah, it was just the the A manager. problem
0: in the sense.
1: Problem from from, from the, our approach from the team in the way that we judged mm-hmm. her, you know, because we ju- judge judged her as see, seeing play in the system. But you know, hats off to her; she played the system and then mm-hmm. she passed. But what people aren't aware of was the background story and, and why a female needed to pass. You know, I think what the the you know, because obviously you know we were getting blueies from all over the world. You know, oh, what have yeah. you done? You know, what I mean, this is shocking. Oh, and,
0: right? well, that was what yeah. year was that?
1: So this was, uh, what are we now? 2002. 2002. So you
0: guys were on the beginning of that kind of conversation because I know that conversation started happening in the United States in 2010 ish, 12. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and then, but for Canada, we've been allowed straight away, do the course. You're allowed to do the job. So like, I was like the only female on the guns because yeah. if you can do the job you can do the job but there in terms of selection and things like that like we had the mandatory was if a woman was allowed on the woman were allowed on the front lines if they can do the job period there was never like we have to have one because there was already always one that made yeah. it or i mean she didn't necessarily look like a woman but yeah. she was biologically a woman and she basically would look like you with hair she's a beast if you're going to pass yeah. the seesaw and the jtf like you can become, you're not going to become an operator,
1: though. Yeah, 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 no, yeah, no. So um, I, th- I think with her, but could even a, you know, her cat badge, I don't mean, even if she, when she did pass, she wasn't in a combat fighting unit anyway. So it was, it was a oh, legit, okay. it, it was support. So it was more, that's why for me, it wasn't, it was more to pass, you know, be the first person to pass. But the the the, the political um, thing in the background, what they were doing was if a female hadn't passed, they were going to lower the standards until a female mm-hmm. passed. And that would be the standard for males and females. So actually her passing wasn't a, a bad thing and people didn't really understand the implications of that. But I think since I think there's been two other females that have passed and and that's why for me if you if you if you ha- if you're at the standard and you, you passed then I've I've got no no questions about it. The only issue we had with that was just the way it was it approached. Was done that was it and that, and that was it and I think she probably would have done it if she if she didn't gone sick but I think she was just trying to give herself the best the advantage best. yeah
0: have what. has your has anybody who has passed that course do you know have they ever deployed as an actual operations
1: as a females as, i don't think we still we still we still haven't as of, as of, yeah, not, 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 don't hold me to that, but I don't think, I don't think we have, no. I think, they've, no, I think uh, this year we've now opened up that females can join the infantry, which is good. Um, yeah,
0: that's new for you guys. Yeah,
1: which is new for us guys. So obviously the press are like that are well, women can join the special forces, but they don't realize that you've still got to do a minimum of three years within the infantry before you then go to special forces. So it'll still be a good couple of years yet yeah, if there's anyone in line to, to do that.
0: I'd be curious to see how that's going to go since, you know, Afghanistan is in Iraq and all that are winding down. I know obviously there's other things going on in the world, but I'd be curious to see how that would work. And if a woman would actually ever deploy just for the simple fact that it's one thing to pass a course, but then now you're deploying with men and you're deploying for six, nine, 12 months and being the only female, I just feel like there's going to be, and I'm going to get the feminists coming at me here, but listen, bro, I've done it. I've been in that. I know how that works. I've been around those guys in that time frame, yeah. and it's a different con conversation
1: oh yeah yeah no it is well we have we have females we have you know you have the SAS and the SBS and our special forces and then there's a there's a standalone unit called surveillance reconnaissance regiment we have females in that because you know you know females are great surveillance operators and working alongside a male in some of the environments they're in it it's natural you know so we do have mm-hmm. women that do that it's not so much with the with the weapons you know over yeah. you know, on the front line
0: Okay, interesting. Well, I just found that fascinating when you're talking about that. Yeah, I I can, I will say I, I agree with your sentiment when you say there would have been a lot more respect if she would have just done the course the way the course was designed to be done. But I also get the other side of it. You're giving yourself the best opportunity. But there's something to be said for the people that pass it without having to take chits and take days off. I mean, there's a reason why the course goes as long and as rugged as the course goes. So yeah, I get that.
1: Yeah, no. Yeah, you've said
0: course. nothing wrong, don't worry, <laughs> Dean. <You're
1: laughs> I'm, all good. I'm all good, yeah. But I think, you know, you know going back to the examples with, with the students, you know, it's again, I'll give you another one which I, was, I don't I don't know, I heard this one, it's quite funny. We used to have a thing called the endurance course, which is basically they start off in a water tunnel and it's you just get pushed through, you've got your webbing and everything on, and you, you go through the tunnel and the instructor gets you. And This is quite nerving for some of the characters, some of the younger lads on the course, you know, because you know, a bit, bit claustrophobic and things like that. So, um, what would normally happen with the marines, you know, a marine would come out from the back of the trees and in his full, you know, attire with his medals and, and go through. So, on this day, <laughs> we had the two, two marine instructors sat, stood in each pool at the end, saying, no, I'm not going, in, you go in. And I obviously, being army, I said, I'll go in, I need a bath because the marines call us pongo's and stuff so i so i went in and they they grabbed me and they they pushed me under but obviously being a dive a diver at the time i've got one of these stasses which we use on our our kit for when a helicopter comes down and it gives you about two minutes of air so one of these was already positioned in the tunnel and no one knew it so i the two guys on the end and then i went in and I, i i just started breathing off it and then obviously I didn't know what was going on outside but the, the, the lads were saying they were just talking about the football and, and things like that and they could see the students faces like that
0: Go you know, when's where... coming
1: you know, when's he coming when's he coming <laughs> like that. Then when I got a restriction I I'd, I'd tap his leg and then he pull me out and then I'm like whatever you do I said do not go left and of course the students like that you know obviously the officers and seniors to get it but the young lads wouldn't but Again, you can go left? Wait, where's the left? Line? Oh my God. So it's just bringing that humor in a time where they're already feeling nervous. It's just trying to bring, you know, just trying to relax them as best as possible. So that's one thing I really picked up. And and, and later on when I went to become an instructor at the dive school as well, you know, again, in that environment, it can be quite alien to some. So it's, it's just introducing humor at the right time and at the right level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to just get the best out of your students, you could,
0: But that's why you created the students that you've created. And it seems like because of the way that you decided to teach them and and give them that capacity to understand that it's okay to have humor. Because I feel like that humor, if you're taught that it's acceptable to have that in situations when something really, really bad happens, you're able to turn that on and calm the unit down i remember that working with you guys i keep saying you guys because you're british so this is what you yeah. get so i'm grouping all of you into one dean so when you when you guys do that there 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 is a dark humor to you that yeah. allows for that okay we need to pick up and carry on and move on because somebody cracked a joke yeah. you don't dwell on that loss you just had or that ied or whatever it may be you give yourself that a uh, that um acceptance to laugh for a second and realize that it doesn't have to be this, you know, all the time, yeah, it just doesn't.
1: Yeah, yeah. You, you know, one of the ethos is, you know, not just as a special forces, but the British is, is humor. You need to have a sense of humor. If you take things too seriously, you're gonna be in an early grave, you know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah, you need to, because as, as you know, with the military, you know, whether it's a dark situation, you make humor of it, or, or just, just the lifestyle of the military, you know, you, you find yourself mm-hmm. in uncomfortable positions or, frustrating positions as well you know we, we always say in the military rush around wait around um you just have to
0: hurry up and wait
1: yeah hurry up and wait yeah so it's uh, no one we we used to do we used to start our own little um chinese whispers you know especially with like a uh, chinese whispers you know so, so we would just just a chinese whisper so if you say if you say us tell a story you're 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 part of the story the chinese yeah. whispers would go around and then by the time people misinterpret part of the the comments and then it and then it turns into something else completely
0: telephone yeah. the telephone
1: yeah, game yeah 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 we call it chinese whispers and then by the time it comes to you it's like no, that wasn't what it was originally said we, yeah but we, we used to do that we used to just to sit there in the in the hangar and just start our own our own chinese whispers and then you could see people's reaction and it just comes back and nothing was really happening but you know you just have a little bit of fun
0: yeah. And that makes all the difference. And I think that's, again, coming back to your leadership skills and, and why you are, um, you were as accepted in the military as you were is because you, you know, you were able to have the sense of humor, you were able to not always be the guy that's giving everybody shit every five seconds when you came on the course, you're more of that gray man. And I think that that holds a lot of water when it comes to going onto a course or being selected for something. So from that point on, you did the course, what made you go, okay, I want to go through selection. You, I figured you had already beaten yourself badly enough. You're like, let's go hurt myself some more.
1: Yeah. So obviously when I was on the, when I was on the commander course, when the, the lads finished their course after their 30 mile and got their green berry, we used to get a presentation from the special boat service. Um, because at the time they were 100% recruited Marines and just opened their doors, you know, try service. So, um, so I, I, I got a relationship with the, the course officer there. and I mean, it sort of turned my attention to, to the special boat service. So I, I went and did a briefing course. So you do a one-week briefing course now. You don't just go on selection and find out you're, you're ill-prepared and weren't ready for <laughs> to lose a life, you know, because a lot of guys yeah. did that, and you only get two shots at it. So I, I went and did their briefing course and then went on selection, actually, in the – uh, 2003, summer 2003, but I, um, no, January 2003, sorry. But I, um, uh, on the hills, my knee blew out. Um, so in five days of running up and down the mountains, I, I, I had an injury. So I had to come off the course. And thankfully, within, within five days, I had, a, I had a, a knee operation. Six weeks later, I was back back running again. So very fortunate. What did you get... do? So I just taught, I taught my ACL on that one. I tore my ACL, um, so that was, yeah, that was that was frustrating. But my approach to that selection, when I was on that one, I was running up and down the North Devon Coastal Path, which is very steep climbs and just big weights on my shoulder. You know, I was doing what I'd seen other guys do before me, because in recitude we had a hundred percent pass rate on selection, so there's a bit of a self-induced pressure as well on, on that. And so that I just thought, well, that's worked for people before. That's what I will do. Um, but obviously it had impact and sort of uh, affected my need. But then when I went, uh, I, I eventually had to leave 5-9. I did, I did about eight years at 5-9. And in, in seven of them wow. was in recce troop, you know, because each time, you know, when I got moved to recce troop, it was classed as a posting. When I went on the training team to Limson, although a year was classed as a posting, so I was always going back. And normally in the military, they like to you know, like to be diverse, you know, get as much experience with the as you do three years here, you then get posted. So eight years in in one run. So I'd gone from a sapper, you know, come out of Colchester prison, gone from a sapper to a sergeant in that one unit, in that one troop. Um, so it was, it was time to leave. And, um, I'd not long finished my diving supervisor course, and I got top student on that. So I got a posting order uh, to the defense diving school down in Portsmouth uh, which is a joint wow. school with the army and the navy and um, so I went I went down there and um, for me I thought right you know, let's look at selection again uh, and that's what I did I then applied for selection from from the diving school but because I was a senior diving instructor I didn't have time to go run around the mountains and things like that because I was running courses so I changed my training I looked at what worked and what hadn't worked on my first course. Um, so hill-wise, mm-hmm. I, I had the legs, I've got nice big legs and things like that, but speed was what I needed to work on, you know. So, uh, so I just got on a spinner bike in the evening, just put a Bergen on my back and just got on a spinner bike for two hours. And I had two junior diving instructors with me, um, Webby and, and Scouse. And Webby would come on for an hour and then Scouts would come on for an hour just to keep me company. And that's what I did. I just just did spin it. just
0: stayed on it. Yeah. Just stayed
1: on it. And, 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 and I mean, I didn't realize actually, so we have a thing called the uh, basic fitness test. It was a mile and a half run. Uh, it's like a, Yeah, we a, have that. Yeah, and, and you know, you know, what, what's your time? And at the age of 28 as a sergeant, I, I got my fastest time ever. I did it in 7 minutes 10 and so for me, I thought, right, you know, you've got the speed, you've got the CV, obviously being underwater as well, you know, opens the lungs as well, that, that had helped. And so I then knew I was ready to go on, on selection again. And then that's why I, I then had, had my second attempt and everything, you know, had worked, you know, taking the pressure off the knees on the hills, you, you, you have to do it, mm-hmm. but there was no sort of, you're not know, going into, into there any slight niggles or, or, or injuries.
0: When you did your ACL, did they rebuild it with a cadaver? Or did they use your hamstring?
1: So no. So the ACL is, is um, they did. So the ACL was not like a. Um, oh, sorry. Like a full tear. Oh, did I say ACL? No, yeah. I, I meant I meant lateral meniscus. Sorry, ACL. Oh, your
0: meniscus. Sorry, okay. yeah, yeah.
1: It was my meniscus. Sorry, yeah. So that was an arthroscopy, and they would just go in and just shave mm-hmm. shave it off. So that's why it was such a quick, quick. Recovery. I was just gonna
0: say because yeah, yeah, you're yeah, on yeah, the yeah. bike, and I'm like,
1: yeah.
0: buddy, I've done that. Oh, what no. how yeah. tell yeah, me about
1: yeah. it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, and no, I'm glad you picked up on it. No it was my lateral meniscus on the first one, um and and that's why the recovery was so quick. so then not yeah, just a pretty
0: face, Dean, not yeah, just a pretty yeah, yeah, yeah. face, I
1: just picked up on it and then then went on selection, and it was you know it, it was good, I enjoy for me, I enjoyed it, you know we talk about ex wives I was going through a divorce at the time and in custody of my child, so for me, it was almost a getaway, it was almost something. I didn't need to share, mm-hmm. with, share with everyone else. And the, the Hills phase is, um, you know, it, it's, it's, four weeks long. It's, it's very arduous. It's, um, you know, you, the American special forces air selection is based on ours. So whether you go SAS or SBS, it doesn't matter. It's, it's a joint joint selection process. Um, mm-hmm. you're running up and down mountains every day. Um, they call it, um, Oh, what do they call it? They call it, uh, aptitude. it just like yep. the aptitude. So it's looks like aptitude. So for four weeks, you're just doing this day in, day out, um, and the instructors don't even know your name. You're just a number to them. Um, but you see <laughs> people, so yeah, you see people dropping off. You know, and uh, you know, you start the course with about two hundred. By the end of that, you're, you're probably good, easily lost over over 60 percent of the, of of those guys. Wow. Um, so it is. It's it's a great it's a great test. But then once you finish that that's when selection starts. They say, that, that's just the aptitude. Now we, we'll, we'll get to know your names. And then, so unlike, so for us, you have to learn everything. We have different weapon systems from the rest of the army as well. So you have to learn, we have this different standard operational procedures. So you're learning mm-hmm. from everything, so everything you've up, you've known in the military till then, you know, some of the stuff, the basic stuff you, you, you need to know, but the, re- the rest of the stuff, the equipment, you're learning from fresh.
0: Okay, can I ask a question? I know I keep interrupting you. I'm so no, sorry. No, no, no. Um, so, your weapon systems wait, hold on. So, in basic training, after basic, what, what weapon systems do you learn in your basic that you didn't learn?
1: So, the Green Army, uh, or I call it the Green Army, the rest of the UK mm-hmm. uses the SA um, yep. 80, now. Um, we use the CA DeMarco, Canadian M60. Yep. Uh, we, we use that in the special forces. So it's yeah, only us that use it. So it's the first yes. time you've ever touched this weapon system. Really? Yeah, yeah. So so especially when you're doing range stuff and things like that. And, and everything we do as well is live firing. We don't fire blanks on selection. Everything is live uh, for real. So your weapon handling has to be slick and on, and on the ball because because it's live. Uh,
0: so when you're doing basic and stuff, do you guys do your... I don't know what you would call it. It's like SQ. SQ. So it's like, do you not learn your Carl Gustavs, your, you know, your C7s, your c six, your, your machine guns, your grenades. You guys don't learn all of that?
1: Depends what cat badge you are. So for the role- Okay, fair
0: enough, okay, for, yeah. For
1: the infantry, yes, probably they would do all that. The gunners would do theirs. Um, so you've got people here from different backgrounds. You'll have a chef, you'll have a signaler, you'll have an engineer, you'll Oh,
0: have- wow, okay.
1: Yeah, that's me, it's tri-service, you, you have them all in. And that's where it's quite good in the fact that it doesn't matter what you've done before, you know, you're almost at a level playing. Level. Yeah, level playing field. You no, know, some obviously guys like myself, being recce troops and pathfinders, I think mean, that would have had some sort of you know, military military experience before. But then we go to we go to the jungle for six weeks, and this is the the equalizer. This is the one that sort of separates you know mm-hmm. the boys from the men. And it's again for me, I was going through a divorce, so I, I enjoyed it. You know, time Separate, away. But, just you know, away. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas a lot of guys, you know, can find it quite claustrophobic and you to see guys just leaving every day the helicopter would come in you'd hear the helicopter and it's one of the hueys and in the in the jungle oh, the wow. night, yeah it's a distinct sound uh so you'd have to go to the schoolhouse every morning and then it'd just be a group just stood alone on the side who just decided that's me i had oh. enough and so for me it was like you know it's, it's not good seeing people leave but it gives you almost that little motivational boost so like well obviously i'm doing something right or
0: you're still here. You're not standing over there with that group. You're
1: not standing over there, you know, you managed to get. You know, I do say fifty percent is not getting injured. If you get through it without being injured, then that's a key one as well. But um, but you see these guys guys leaving, and but the instructors at this point they play mind games with you as well. So they start. You see them when they start targeting certain individuals, and and, and it's nothing personal. They're just t- testing your mental resilience, and you. They want to see if they can getting, break you. They're, yeah, they're just trying to sort of plant a seed in your head that you're not good enough to be in their unit or, or part of their team and things like that. I mean, actually then afterwards in the evening, when you sort of in your hammock or, or laying on the floor, you're sort of thinking to yourself, maybe, why why put myself through this? You know, if if I'm going to be failed at the end, you know, why not save myself the effort? And it's, it's just mind games. It's just mind games. You have to believe in yourself that you're, you're good. I remember, I remember actually with, um, so a good friend of mine, he one of my best friends, He's he was in the SAS, and this is when I was in record Troop in five nine and, and one of the SES squadrons came to our town to do mobility training. And I'd, I'd walked in the bar that night and I'd, I'd had a few drinks and, and my, my, my opening comment when I walked in was, right, who was the hardest before I walked in? Not knowing who was in the room, you know. Oh no. <laughs> the, whole squadron, the whole squadron from the SES, of course they were just like that. Um, but you know, but we had a great night, you know, we all had drinks, we did karaoke and, and things like that. So I found myself, <laughs> you know, fast forward about three years later, I find myself day one in the jungle and I'm laid down in this fire position and this huge figure, the big South African, that SAS instructor kneels down next to me. He's like, but who's the hardest before I walked in? I was like, oh, <laughs> he, was, he was in there. But, and I just and I said, oh, it was me until you arrived, you know. But you have it to have that it? sense. Yeah, it was me. But you have to have that 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 sense of humour, you know. So I, so I love that joke, so much. Yeah, so I always, always joke when they say, oh, you've got to be the grey man. I've never been the grey man, you know. I mean, I've either had. Uh, uh, you can't, can't beaches, Yeah, or, or my mouth's got me in trouble.
0: Yeah, but listen to the way your mouth has you know carried you now. It's one thing for your mentality to be able to carry you, but then to be able to actually put up instead of just, and just think you're the best. But you yeah. you, you don't just think you're the best, you just happen to be. And everybody needs to either get over that or get on board with it.
1: Yeah, I think there's a balance between confidence. You know, we used to have like confidential reports. Uh, you, you must have it as well, you know, an mm-hmm. annual report from your officer. And, and mine used to always say, there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. But for me, it was like, If you're confident, I was confident in my abilities and I knew that we'd do it. I mean, for me, it's like positivity is contagious. And so if you're confident, it would then rub off on my team. And and I used to see that our team used to stand out. You know, I remember once going to uh, we're doing jungle training in Ghana, in in Africa. And the um, the other marine teams the day before got dropped into their um, into their LS. But because it was so overgrown, because basically they hadn't cut the LS, they just used the helicopter downdraft to bring the, the, the trees down. So the lads, lads couldn't move. And for me, I'm very competitive. So when it was our turn, I did everything in our power. And we, we managed to get out and to get to the target area. So I see- Of course see, you did. You, 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 you know, again, you're, especially when you're working alongside the Marines, I mean that like you're an ambassador for your, your cat badge and your unit. So for me, it wasn't about, it's was about confidence. Yes, I'm confident that we will do it. But I knew it would then rub off on my my team,
0: for sure. And I can respect the hell out of that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sorry,
0: that's. Somebody like, that. That.
1: "Oh my god, what's he up to now?" You know, we can't do it. I was like, "Yes, we can do it." Let's, let's, let's did make you
0: it. Did you ever get the um on your on your on your yearly thing? Did you ever get the mouth was the problem?
1: No, not so much. No, I think it's just it's just the way I sort of came. I've got quite a I've got a good sense of humor as well, and and things like that. So it's maybe sometimes that that it may come across. Arrogant, but it wasn't meant to be. It's just pure content. No,
0: there was always a a, a joking, a joking aspect to it. So you finished, you finish out that, and then once you're done, what happens next?
1: So yeah, so we finish, selection, and for me, you know, that's like the biggest thing you've done in in your career. You then go join your unit, and you're so pumped because you've just spent six months on this course. <laughs> To so then find yeah. yourself just slotting into a team and no one's really cared about selection, you're just like join the team. But for me, it was, it was great. You know, I, I I never had aspirations of being in the special forces as a young boy, and I and I think for me going back slightly on selection, I never put myself under any sort of induced pressure. There was guys on that course who, from a young age you know, young boys, all they've ever wanted to be was a Royal Marine or a para, I an mean, SES SAS or ESPN. Oh, okay. Uh, or their fathers or their brothers were in the units as well. So they had that additional, I didn't have that. And I, I could see how it really affected them when they, when they didn't get in. Um, so for me, the I- Mentality
0: aside. Yeah, it
1: is. You know, so I sort of went in, you, it is, you, know, you do well or you don't do well and, and sort of went in with that. We don't take things too seriously. But then when I joined, you then work, realize you're now working alongside- some like minded individuals, everyone with very good skill sets, and they're all confident and not arrogant. Um, you know what I mean? So uh, so I, I found myself very comfortable in that position. I, the reason I went SBS going back rather than SAS was because I was a senior dive instructor, and I was also spent eight years in Free Commander Brigade with the Green Beret. So it was the natural transition to me. And I thought, well, if I go SAS, I'm going to end up in boat troop because of my diving mm. capabilities. If I go SBS, we're all divers. We're all, you know, level playing field. And it wasn't the case because they still weren't divers yet. They, we, Once we finish the lecture, oh. we have continuation training for three months. We then do, uh, you know, to okay. the SDS, get their beret and belt. We then get a tr- blue tracksuit and go dive in and do our boating. So you're a more experienced diver than than all of them. So I soon found myself within the unit always doing any sort of dive related jobs within the squadron, I, w- I was on, it. I was the dive rep for the, for the squadron. But uh, you
0: love the water, you fit right in. I, I, do, I
1: do love the water, yeah, I do know. I call me the, the, the frog man and, and things like that, and I, I am comfortable under there. But um, but when, you, when you're when you doing some of these exercises off the, um, the North Sea on the oil rigs and they only need four <laughs> divers out of 28 and everyone else is still having their coffee waiting for the helicopters and, and you're like, all ah, out getting your dive kit on, and you're like, ah, yeah. There's a time in effect yeah. yeah
0: but now looking back at that i mean you must you must miss that you must miss being able to do that
1: oh yeah, yeah. no 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 of course i do you know i, re- I really i really enjoyed enjoyed my time there I, jo- I joined at a time as well i was very fortunate um, on the height of war and terror it was the busiest time mm-hmm. in uk special forces history you, you had the sas in iraq and the sbs we were running uh, afghanistan you know my first tour we did the first ever operational jump for the SBS. We then did numerous operational jumps after that. You know, I was sort of, we were ticking all the, all the boxes in, the, in a short period of time. You know, we, we had m- more HVTs, high visibility targets on one of our tours and the other two squadrons back to back. So we, w- we were doing a lot in, the, in a short space of time. You know, speak to my friends now who we are still in and they, they still reflect on that period of time as being one of the best.
0: What year? Where? What uh, deployment in Afghanistan? What year are we yeah, talking about? Yeah, now? so we don't
1: we don't do Herricks. I think they call them Herricks. You know, in, in the military, we're, we're Task Force Forty Two, TF Forty Two, and 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 it's just called TF Forty Two. So when I was, you know, we were there from so 2000 and when I I was on selection in 2005. So and I got out in, in 2011. So it's that six year period there. So but yeah, year eight, nine, and ten. They were really busy.
0: Oh, buddy, we—I was there too. Look,
1: really? yeah. Well, the
0: we're, o- m- the, we're the 09 crew. I was April probably. to September.
1: Oh yeah, we would have been. Yeah, probably similar. Oh time. yeah. We ripped out just maybe just before, but we uh, I remember we used to go spend a lot of time at um, Graceland uh, in Canada, yeah. the Canadian uh, Special Forces. So we we used to come in every Thursday and, and use their, their training facility as well but just timed perfectly with surf and turf night with
0: the-, uh, the Oh yeah. The
1: crabs, yeah. So uh, I've been yeah. on that quite quickly. <laughs>
0: yeah, so. we went, we did, um, we did, uh, yeah, I got borrowed by you guys. Yeah,
1: yeah. You didn't yeah. have
0: infantry. So you're like, let's find a woman. <laughs> and then they found me at fob ramrod and they're like, hey, you don't like shooting the triple sevens, do you? Come with us instead. Let's show you some real fun. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it was really good down there. It had a great, great facility down there as well. So, but no, you, you're right. It was, it was a great time and, 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 and things were great. And I obviously can't go into too many details for operations. Yeah.
0: Busy time. Yeah. Very yeah, busy. busy
1: time. Um, but I, we are about to go back out on another tour and we're out in Oman. We do our pre-deployment training in Oman. Mm-hmm. Um you know, great facility there. You can do the mobility. You can do the air, same sort of temperatures as well. And, um, we had obviously guys that had just passed selection, so we were doing. They were doing their hey ho training, high altitude, high opening training. Mm-hmm. So you exit the aircraft at 15,000 feet, parachute open, static line, and then you travel 30 minutes in the air or 50 kilometres to the target area. So they done. They were doing their. They were doing nose jumps, and um, our sergeant majors like, well, look, there's nothing in the program this morning. Just go do fun jumps. And, you know, I like parachuting, but I, there's no such thing as a fun jump in the military. I was just going to um,
0: say, what's fun about this?
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think we've done a couple of jumps already that day, and I was, I was at number one on the stick. So I used to always do a thing called frogging, where you, you jump out and you face back into the aircraft and you look like a frog, um, which used to really upset the, the parachute jump instructors. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'm sure that's not written in any sort of TTPs. And um, so, yeah, I then got moved. To the middle of the stick on the next jump and you know done hundreds of these jumps exit the aircraft got into the seat position as you normally do but this time my leg somehow got caught in the line above my head and i'm trying to kick it out in time because i know the parachute soon to open Um, couldn't open it in time and my leg got pulled up over my head into the right thankfully my mm-hmm. the 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 line freed of my my boot and didn't take my leg completely off otherwise i would have bled out and um Straight away, the pain, I never felt pain like it, but it was that bad. I was vomiting uh, because of the pain because you're at 15,000 feet. You're mm-hmm. on the limits of options. So it's really thin the air and I was sort of drifting in and out of consciousness. But no one else in the team was aware <laughs> there's a situation.
0: Tears. Stears oh yeah. Like so I'm, 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 I'm sort
1: of, you know, checking, checking the team, checking my, my, nav- my, my GPS. Still, no, I got vomit all down me and in, in pain. And I'm trying to ease, just take any sort of pressure off, mm-hmm. off my leg because it was, it was sore. And then just, just following the guys, and he still had like 30 minutes. So I, I, I looked at their approaches. Um, and because if I got this wrong and, and damage, oh, my, yeah, that's both your legs done. So, so I looked at their approaches and I sort of gauged mine. And I came in and I landed, you know, one legged. And I was like, ah, Brilliant. But then just shouted, medic, straight away. And I remember one of the guys was close to me. That was a good landing. I said, yeah, but the exit wasn't. <laughs> so, yeah. so, yeah, they came over. Two of my mates got me onto the back of the, the helicopter. And then straight to, the, straight to uh, Muscat for an MRI scan. And it came back. yeah, tore my ACL, my MCL, my lateral meniscus within the knee, uh, my yeah. hamstring, my calf, and my quadriceps. So then all... The supporting muscles as well. So you can yeah. still operate with an ACL tear, but you need all that supporting muscles with it as well. So obviously that was me. I, you have to go back to UK. Um, but it was the same time as the volcanic Icelandic volcano, which had grounded all the aircraft around the I road. was in the
0: airport. I know. Oh, really? I was yeah. waiting for a flight to go to Scotland and <laughs> I did not get on that flight.
1: Oh, really? So i um I, I just, uh, yeah, so obviously i I was there just thrown in a hotel with painkillers, you know wait for an airmed flight, It was about another three weeks, and then on these painkillers, you're already feeling depressed because everyone else is is going on tour, mm-hmm. and you're going home and that was a by the time I got home, got to the hospital, military hospital, sent home again on six weeks, came back, it lost all my MRI scans. It was just then a spiral of errors then within the the military medical system. Um, was that so, the same
0: yeah. knee that you Sorry. had the issue yeah, with the last the time?
1: Knee. Yeah, it was the same knee. Oh. Yeah,
0: the
1: knee, the right hand knee, yeah. So, uh, so it took 44 weeks before I got an operation in the end, you know, and I had to argue with the military. I think because they realized you're, you know, I just, you know, considering that my first operation took five days and I had to wait 40 yeah. weeks to for this. So, so for me, I had a great career in the military. I loved the military. Unfortunately, I was a little bit of a dark cloud towards the end of the career as I left. Um, but yeah, they, they operated on me and I, I, I left the military, you know, after 16 years. And um, as you know, all impressive, I'd, Dean. Yeah, yeah. But all I'd ever known from that time, you know, I would have been a lifer. I'd, I'd still be now in Alden, 22 years, got commissioned, being a desk jockey somewhere. Um, and getting but, fat
0: and soft. And yeah. then we would all made fun of you. You don't need that. That's not your exactly. life. That's what you're meant to do.
1: No, I wouldn't be able to fit through that water tunnel, definitely. But the, um, <laughs> the uh, so that was me. I didn't have to leave, but. You asked when I met Alana, my wife. So yes, I'd met Alana before this period of time when I was in the special forces. So my decision going to SBS, because of my diving capability, I ended up being a dive rep and Alana lived in Aberdeen and they do a lot of offshore oil diving there. So the okay. company the company that makes our rebreather and the special boat service are based in Aberdeen. And so I got flown up there uh, for a week um, to, to speak with that company, and that's that's when Alana and I had met. So she, you know, I do feel for her, because I think we've been, she'd, she'd seen a year of Dean, the good Dean, the Dean that was going away mm-hmm. with wars and, and things like that, and the physically fit Dean, and then it was it was the, uh, it was the injury, and then she saw, you know, then she had to sort of almost pick, pick me up. Um, and she's very entrepreneurial, and at the time she was a bank manager for the three Santander banks in Aberdeen, so when you leave the military, you know, you know your transition beca- can be quite turbulent or smooth mm-hmm. on 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 um, on on a number of things, and I see that more as your support network. And you know, Alana set up my first private security company on her Blackberry, you know, watching TV, you know, for me. So she, things that I would normally be worried about, because I had never had exposure to being in the military. She she knew yeah. that, but that was her normal normal job, um, and so that was really key in my transition Uh, and that's where we sort of then really bonded we knew our strengths and and weaknesses Um, but she was eight months pregnant when I left the camp you know my first worry was how am I going to support my family you know what does the civilian world look like it's very alien to what we're used to Um, you know so I was going through what's called an identity crisis you know (laughs) I got to where I'd been in the military because of my physical robustness I couldn't even run 100 meters now and it's like you know, where did my skill sets lie within this, mm-hmm. within this community? Um, so without sounding like Liam Neeson, you know, your natural skill sets is private security.
0: It's okay. You don't have to say, I mean, I, uh, I'd say that you, you've got a few, a few up on Liam Neeson. You can, it's, it's, it's fine. You've got a few, you've got a few more than his movie roles. I think being a real Liam Neeson is a totally different ball game yeah. than being playing a Liam Neeson. So yeah. you can, you can toot your own horn all you want in that because you, deserve that i wrote down here because i don't often take notes but i won't lie for you i was like i gotta fucking this guy squared away so i need to be squared away here when you started your own company so i know a lot of guys that are contractors okay um yeah. but they don't start their own private security firm they just get calls and wait for calls from people like you why did you do it that way that seems like a more way more complicated um way of doing things
1: yeah, no, I had that option, you know, for me, I didn't want to be going back to Afghans and Iraqs and things like that, and, and, you know, si- you know, these rotations, six weeks on, six weeks off and, and things like that. A lot of my mates were, up um, their own private security companies, because of their background, were tackling piracy off the east coast of Africa, so I didn't, yes. I didn't want to start treading on their toes either. There was also mm-hmm. an opportunity to go work with the UAE Special Forces, so a lot of the guys who mm-hmm. were getting out as well were, had... Jobs there, which is very secure and, and very similar to what they've been doing anyway. But for me, I wanted you know, it's probably the, per- the character that I am. I wanted to find a niche, I wanted to have my own company. I, you know, I spent the last 16 years in, in some sort of peer system. You know, you had someone you had to speak to and things like that. And I was like, well, I want to run my own business. Uh, you had a boss. Yeah, and Alana being you philanthrop- uh, know, um, entrepreneurial. She, she, she knew about accounting, taxes, and things like that, which puts <laughs> a lot of people off when they're leaving. And so, yes. she, if I knew that she could deal with that, I knew I was a sociable character and I could do do the networking. So that's why I was very fortunate to have someone like Alana. That she, I did ad hoc. I didn't know where the next job was coming in. You know, it was the next phone call uh, and things like that, rather than having that comfort and stability, knowing there's going to be money in there. And and that that actually worked in our favor in, in the long term um mm-hmm. very worrying at the beginning but within 48 hours i got a phone call can i help set up the british embassy in, in libya during the arab spring um and, you know and I, I did that job and then your next phone call can you go to guinea to and meet the president and the prime minister who are hosting some diplomats from the uae and your next phone call was london olympics so i was getting exposure to a broader area of the security sector rather than just a certain area that i'd, I'd worked in and i'd realized as well that there's no the, the security industry isn't a reward ratio balanced at all so mm-hmm. guys will be out in afghan and iraq probably on like you know 300 pound a day 250 pound a day you, know, you could be working with a you know taking a ua royal family yacht from barcelona to maldives on double that or in a five-star hotel with visa at the world cup so the you did it
0: properly, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: the corporate was where the money was. the corporate was where the money was with the less risk, and so that's where I was sort of trying to channel my my attention to to more the corporate element.
0: well, I think that's I think that's important i There was a part in the book that I want to highlight because I think I think well, from what I can tell, and I know that Alana obviously brought that up to you, but i i want to, I want to say this to you too from for whatever it means is you evacuated an embassy during something really, really serious. And I'm sorry, but that is such an accomplishment. And I know she's told you that. And I know so many people have, and it doesn't even uh, touch onto some of the things that you didn't write about. Because obviously I don't know your full life, but what I do know is that is incredibly impressive. And I think that you should really take that and really, I know you do, but hold on to that because that's not something a normal person could ever
1: do, yeah, or even no. on their own. Yeah, I, I, it was those early stages. I was trying to find a niche within industry. You know what? You know how am I going to step and um, stand out from others? You know, my friends were doing the maritime stuff. Um, you had these large, larger security companies which pretty much dominated your Afghans and Iraqs and, and things like that. But actually, when I was in Libya, I soon identified that these larger security companies were charging seven-figure, six-seven-figure sums the crisis management and evacuation plans, when there was actually nothing really in place, which was quite worrying because, you know, if you were contracted by that company, you'd expect them to have some yeah. support network. Uh, and it's quite commonplace. I'm hearing it still nowadays. Um,
0: That's troubling.
1: Yeah, it's troubling, yeah. But also the, the Libyans didn't want it being another Afghan in Iraq and things like that. So there's huge proliferation of weapons at the time. I thought, well, I'll take advantage of that. Now, the only thing that we were lacking was ammunition. And so That's I did. Yeah, Alana, Alana gave birth to Molly and I, 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 I came back in and I bought 30 weapons on the black market and I buried them between Tunis and Egypt, got Peli cases in and put comms kit in there and put some money in there and I just designed my own evacuation plans. You know, something we, we, we've done before, cage systems, um, because I knew that should something go wrong, we couldn't come in with weapons, but we could easily fly in or drive across the border knowing where they were positioned. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did, you know, living in Aberdeen, which is the oil and gas capital of Europe, I had exposures to some of the oil, oil and gas uh, sector there. And I put my proposal down and they'd been let down before by some of the, these big, big companies. And I said, well, no, this is in place. Um, and, and that's what I did. I sat on it, hopefully never needed it. And 2012, uh, just finished London Olympics and the American ambassador got murdered or killed in. Benghazi, and I think they filmed 13 Hours was the film. The
0: 13 Hours, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I was there that evening and uh, I asked if I could help KCA Deutage, a German, engineer, uh, German engineers, get back to, to Tripoli. So that's what I did, I had safe houses in the desert um, and I just moved them from Benghazi through the safe houses back to Tripoli. And again, never had to dig up my weapons, it was just understanding more the demographics and the politics. I mean, two years later, got the same phone call from the you know the Canadian embassy. They were stuck in the in the Tripoli war, so they had their own CP team, which was protecting the mm-hmm. diplomats. But they normally rotate every four months out the country, and they would fly out from the international airport. But the international airport had now been burnt down, so their first port of exit was, was, was now uh, gone. Um, but during that period, when they're on their tour, their tour within um, Tripoli, they'd never really left the city walls. And so they never had exposure of what was out, outside of there. So obviously at mm. that point, I'd already taken USAID out in a couple of taxis, keeping it all low profile and um, came in and sort of assisted these guys, went and spoke to all the, the tribal elders along the way, Zawiya uh, and Sabra, all the way down to, to the border uh, and then gave them that full intelligence picture as well. Uh, put their kit in a, in a um, fish wagons, because the fish wagons would normally would daily go through the borders. So yeah, it wasn't something that was strange for the border staff to see. So it was just you utilizing that sort of local knowledge as well. So again, so we we know we got them safely out and back to back to Tunis. Um, so God, again, that's impressive. But never 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 had to dig up the weapons. It was all about you know understanding you know because everyone has this perception of special forces being, you know, offensive action, which is yes, what we do, you know, 25% of what we do. And that's normally last resort. But 50% is that hearts and minds support and influence. Um, and, and, I, and that's, I think that's where I was successful in the security industry, not just on that task, but I used to go to Somalia on my own and, and things like that. And people used to see that you A white
0: guy with big ears in Somalia, yeah, 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 that's yeah, head hair
1: off. Off. yeah but you understood mm-hmm. You understand their culture. You understand that it's not mm-hmm. as is seen on the TV back home. So sat there in Somalia sharing, having dinner with a, one of the, one of the potential clients and his family. And he's get, he's getting emails every day from U.S. brick companies, all offering the same services. You know, we're all ex-special mm-hmm. forces. You know, but he's like, well, you've actually taken the risk to come out here and physically see what's going on. And I think that's where I, I was successful within the industry. Is is, is every client is unique and different.
0: Well, the mindset that you bring to it, it's one thing to have unique clients, but you see it from a simplistic you see it in a simplistic way, which it, it doesn't need to be more difficult than that. One thing I really liked about your book, which I didn't hear a lot of in other military books or in yeah. other, you know, other podcasts, was you took the time to understand the local community. And something you touched on, which I think is important is you, you feel bad for the regular service member that never get to see outside of FOB. You only ever think of being sh- as being shot at by these Middle Eastern people who hate you so much, but you never get to see that other side of the community and what that means and what that looks like. And they're just people, like you said, who just want to live their lives, who want to love their families and want to be safe when they go to and from school or to and from work. And that is something that our we have glorified in the military so much and yeah. the civilian population since those wars have kind of happened and are still currently happening. We've glorified this idea that there's such hatred towards these countries when really it's because the lack of experience in getting to sit down with the locals and have yeah. these conversations. And I think that's what struck me so, um, so much about what you said is because it's so rare that we actually hear that.
1: Yeah, no, it, it is. It, and it, you're right. You, you have those who have been in fobs and, all they've ever known is mortars coming in and 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 fighting and yeah. <laughs> um, so for me yeah i was very fortunate to, to to see that and from the other side and and sort of reflect on that you know unfortunately with the, the world of media nowadays everyone's very quick to tarnish a certain community with one brush But it's, a very, mm-hmm. very 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 small minority is bad the rest are just you know just almost tarnished people, people. yeah people so you know i talk about Evacuating the embassy, evacuating KCA Doitag, and those other jobs that I, I did as well. But if it wasn't for that local influence and community, they wouldn't have been successful. And that's one thing I, I like to get across. It's not, it's not me on my own. It's, it's, it's utilizing and having the respect of the locals. And it's all about, all about communication and trust. Um, so for me to go out on my own to these countries, they trusted me
0: yeah well and I mean it's not like you could have hidden well I'm sorry I mean you touch the very beginning of the book buddy I mean you you touch on the fact yeah. that you fucked up because you forgot your contacts I mean I'm shocked that it was just the contacts that gave you
1: away <laughs> I'll, sorry. I'll, I'll, send you, I'll send you the photo privately but yeah it's full on yes turban, full on a lot of, you know you look like a local but I, I didn't actually think that I didn't fuck up I thought I'd fucked up and it, it wasn't it was just the fact the turban was caught in the door it wasn't my contact lenses
0: Oh my gosh. That's insane to me. Cause it's like the smallest thing that would give you away. It was, it's, it's no different when you, when you go somewhere as a, as a deployed member, the, my favorite thing they used to make me do is tuck your hair. And so you look like a man. I'm like, well, I'm either just like a stunted man or I just have a weird voice. And then that's a whole questionable issue on its own. Um, I know I don't have you for much longer because I'm trying to be very respectful of the fact that you're a big deal, but I do want to touch base. Um, and this might not be something, but you did bring it up in the book. So I feel like it gave me, gave me the rights to bring it up. Death or divorce. That's a strong woman to be able to sit there in front of you and say, Hey, Hey,
1: it's time. Yeah. Let's have the school. Yeah. yeah. I think when we, you know, you know we're very driven both Alana and I, so when, you know, when I got out, you know, I, I, I was just going out getting work, just trying to support the family, find the niche within the industry. Um, and when i come back, Alana would be doing everything. So Alana went and did her close protection course, surveillance course as well, you know. So so yeah, you know, when she found out when she was on the close protection course that she was pregnant with our first daughter. So she never really got an opportunity to start off it, mm-hmm. uh, with, with me. Cause that was what it was. It was going to be a husband wife thing before there's a niche oh, there, okay. the original plan. There was a niche in that in the corporate. Um, so but, so obviously she would be managing the company. She'd be dealing with clients, doing the contracts and things like that. I mean, it, you know, you've got to, days where I would come in um, and I'd drop off one bag and then mm-hmm. pick up another bag and fly out that afternoon. And it was sort of like always passing in the wind. You know, financially we were better off, but actually relationship-wise we, have, we weren't having an opportunity to, to talk. And so I, I came home from the Canadian embassy job. Um, my dad had passed away earlier that year and literally I buried him and went out the next day because a client needed me in South Africa for a big high-profile court case. And so was that the,
0: was that the case? The, is that the, the case I'm thinking of?
1: Which case? with the
0: bathroom situation <laughs> and the shooting. The what? With no. the, the bathroom situation and the shooting. And that was, it, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, the, they called him like the blade. No, 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 no,
1: no, 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 no. Sorry. No, the sports guy. No, no, it wasn't. No, 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 oh, The it?
0: sports guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. No, it, no, it wasn't him. It was actually, um, uh, a witness coming from uk that uh, it's all to do with oh, okay wealth management it would have had ratifications against the government so he had death threats against him oh fantastic i'd already taken him in the year before and he had to go back in and my dad had passed away and he said look don't worry about it i said no i'm coming and i buried my dad and flew straight out to um so i I sort of disconnected myself from society. Um, I was just so fixated on getting the jobs done and things like that. So I came home from that trip and Alana, Alana had highlighted I'd only been home twenty-one days in a whole year, 365 day calendar.
0: Wow. And
1: yeah, and I thought that she she wanted me to go, you know, because obviously she was she was accepting the jobs and, and things like that. But also during this period, Lana is a property developer. She's doing her own businesses as well. Um, and she said, well, no, I thought you wanted to go away. And, and it was actually against that lack of communication. Yeah. So we sat, we sat down that evening over a couple of bottles of wine and sort of realized that I hadn't, hadn't even addressed the fact that my dad had passed away. I hadn't even had opportunity to even mourn, mourn that at this point. Um, and also the fact that I, I hadn't come to terms with the fact that I'd left the Special Forces. I was still trying to live this lifestyle, thinking that I had my mates on the other end, and they'd be coming and parachuting and rescuing me with all the aircraft and battleships out of the coast. You had nothing. Um, you were on your own, and if something had gone wrong, you know, it could have gone wrong quite bad. But thankfully, you know, I, I was confident in my plan, and, and they were successful. But, you know, it's that, it's that lottery. How long do you keep pushing it before something does go wrong? And so, yes, dead or Divorce was the uh, chapter 16. This was the period in life that something had to change, and Alana said, well, look, come do property developing with her. And that's what I did, yeah.
0: It's funny because um, I remember the moment when I, they tried to make me do a civilian job for the first time it is painful. It is so painful. And it's not painful because you, you it's, you know, you don't value the job. It's painful because when you, when you go from running the way you're running to trying now to be this other person, I can respect why you didn't. What I loved is what she did instead of saying to you, well, Hey, suck it up, go talk to a counselor, start taking all this medication and sort your shit out. You know, Mm -hmm. you need to be present. You need to be here. She, she just gave you a record book and was like, you need to go beat something. And this yeah. is where you come into my world a little bit more, and this is the road bike world, and I want to get into this.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I this is probably five years now, having left the military to this period. So I, my, during the time that I was working in the security industry, I was just fixated on work, and my mm-hmm. own physical well-being had sort of deteriorated. My injured leg now was two kilos lighter than my good leg. Um, oh, wow! Yes, yeah, and so I hadn't done any sort of CV, and I had a TRX that I'd attached to the hotel door room and have a little throw around on that, but. Nothing to sing home about. So I just bought a push bike. You know, our office was about eight miles from my house. So I just bought a push bike and as a cycle across because the potholes are quite bad in Aberdeen. Uh, and I remember getting it you know, getting out the box and cycling had rolled <laughs> so much! I remember cycling off and I bought these cleats. I bought everything. I didn't have a clue and I, I didn't know where the gears were. I didn't realise they were actually in the brakes. I was, I was looking for the, the little things on the top. The ones
0: top over the top here.
1: <laughs> the yeah. So I had to go back home and Google it. And I thought, oh yeah, there it is. Um, so I just cycled to and from the office, but it eight miles wasn't much, but being physically active again, as in like C V wise, it, uh, it almost felt like it was a huge weight off my shoulders again. And mm-hmm. so Alana, as we touched on, was a property developer. So I sat in these meetings with her, and you can imagine with my backstory to now, I wasn't interested. She could see. <laughs> non-emotional no. phases i haven't got and i was actually i was actually feeding tommy i was feeding tommy our second son while alana was doing the business and he just felt like is this my life now um so i i was a month before my 40th birthday and i, was just, I always fancied doing a wheel record and alana said well what in I said, "Well, cycling doesn't seem to be impacting my knee." Uh, i knew i had it endurance wise and, and things like that and and so I was I, living in Scotland. I fought Aberdeen to Dundee or Glasgow and back. And then Alana then found the world's longest road from southern Argentina to northern Alaska. So it runs 14,000 miles called the Pan American Highway. So it's the equivalent. No big of, deal. Yeah, no big deal. Not so that it's, long. <laughs> it's not that bad. But no, we we had actually looked. We had looked at Cairo to Cape Town, which was, you know, Africa, top of Africa, the bottom of Africa. But having worked majority of my time in the security industry in Africa, I wanted to see something different. I wanted obviously i had a challenge but i wanted to be taken in by scenery and, and cultures and things like that so that's why this one was more attractive you had the whole of south america central america uh, north america canada and alaska so the equivalent of cycling from london to sydney and then four thousand miles because of the curvature of the earth Madness. So I only, yeah i haven't only still cycled less than 20 miles i thought perfect i applied for the world record which sounds quite arrogant and um, and yeah, six weeks later, yeah. Guinness came back and said, yeah, you've been successful on your, your application. So I wasn't a, a cyclist, but I knew from my time in the military to private security, it was all about planning and preparation. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, I can do that in this challenge. I and mean, then as I started learning more about cyclists, I can then evolve that into, into my plan. So that's what I did. I, I applied for the World Record and Guinness, Guinness came back and said, yeah, you've been successful, so start planning this.
0: That's just wild to me. I've done, I've, for God's sake, when I read that you did that, like legitimately did it and then did it in, was it 99 days and you beat the record by what, 18 days? Cause you're like, I don't want to yeah. just look at the record. I'll just destroy it. So then no one can ever beat it ever.
1: But it, it wasn't, it wasn't the original plan. You know, when I applied for a record, it was already, it was 125 days when I applied for it. Six weeks later when Guinness mm-hmm. came back, Carlos, who's mixing Mexican guy, had already beaten it by That's eight right. days. So it was now 117 days. So that was the, the new target. When I did all the planning and stuff, you know, you know, there's a lot more to it as, you know, as a cyclist and just grabbing a banana and a water bottle and heading north. <laughs> yeah. you know, and when, you, when, you, when you've got a support team, when you've got a documentary team as well, and you've got the, the, the charity angle of it as well, there's so mm-hmm. much you, you need to be thinking about. And it was really, what would work for example in Chile wouldn't be the same in Peru or Ecuador so each country w- was unique in itself so for me it was really good for me I was getting back and I had something something to that plan. planning
0: aspect that you could really dial yeah, in really a, well
1: you know, and, 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 I, and I thought for me that you know With the Guinness guidelines, there's so many guidelines anyway. So, you know, it was then just charity. All you had to do was was, was cycle as fast as you can. Um, But, yeah, 117 days. But when I did the planning, there was stuff that was out of my control, like natural disasters, coups, maybe third-party influence. So rather than than encountering that and then finding yourself behind time, I I took that week and just pushed it aside. That wasn't ever in the picture. So my target was 110 days. So should we encounter any of that it was eaten into that we call it fudge eating into that week's fudge and not into your ch- your challenge so yeah. I, i'd spoken to the previous record holders they'd all gone um north south and you know, i was just of-
0: going to ask you did they do the same way like why did you want to go south north instead of north south
1: yeah so so one of the things we do in the special sports i think you know one of the reasons with the one of the best in the world, is not because we've got the best caliber of guys and, and best training, it's because we're always learning, we're always evolving and, and, and mm-hmm. learning from mistakes. And one thing we used to do when we used to come off the ground on ops or, or even on exercise, we'd have, before we go clean our weapon or deservice ourselves was, you know, three questions. It's a hot debrief, you know, what worked? What didn't work? And if mm-hmm. you're gonna do it again, what would you do differently? So, I was buying bike magazines, and I was, I was reading articles. but I wasn't getting the information I needed to help me plan this. so I reached out to the previous record holders, and found they were really open about their communication and you know Carlos, I could only download his he was Mexican and read what his encounters were. but all their encounters started in the north and the south, all their issues were in South and Central America, so for me, I thought, well why?" Take a gamble. Pass the first. Second yeah. Why don't you get all those issues out of the way first? And then when we get into America, we can see where we are in regards to the record. I mean, adjust mm-hmm. accordingly. So that's what I did. And you know, one thing I'm proud of, I just turned it on its head and went south north. Um, and, and yeah, so we did that. And from a cycling perspective, it worked out in my favor. It had a tailwind all the way through Peru. That's 2,500 kilometers of, of tailwind. Oh. So, that's, a, that's
0: a good tailwind to have my friend yeah. instead of a headwind that would have sucked it, I bet you would have lost the whole day on that headwind alone
1: it, we had the strong winds in Ushuaia down in uh, you know 40 mile an hour crosswinds for a week and you know I mean it, that, that that was difficult but then, we, then I crashed my bike in Chile got food okay in, yeah in Peru yeah. I
0: was laughing in my car by myself driving to work and I'm not gonna lie like I was laughing out loud because I got to the point where you're like, oh, saw the merging and am i'm gonna to try to do your accent you're like i saw a merging into one lane and then i saw a sign and i was like oh, i'm gonna just duck through this and i'm like that's something i would have done and then destroyed my face off the bar that i'm sorry that was so funny i'm sure it hurt i'm yeah. sure it sucked but that yeah. shit was hilarious
1: oh yeah yeah it was, it was a big eye-opener for me you know i i, I think could i yeah, so of your listeners you know the two lanes of traffic was merging into one and then the right hand lane had a a sign which was obviously pointing to go into the first lane but i saw beyond the sign there was no traffic i thought well i'll just limbo that so i just went as fast (laughs) as i I was unaware about the bar that ran across the bottom which the wheel hit and then i just i just stopped but i think because i wasn't aware of it i hadn't braced up i hadn't hadn't relaxed and i just i just bounced across the road um no, punctured the wheels on the bike. Um, we had to change the fork on the bike because there was a hairline fracture mm-hmm. in it. And we have two bikes. You have one with spares. You can have as many wheels and tires as you want, you know, which, which is good. But you have two bikes identical. And the, um, yeah, and, and that's what we did. We, we, we swapped that over. But actually, it was, I got, um, I had a heart murmur because of the, the uh, heart rate monitor. I got a big bruise oh. on my, uh, my breast because of the, um, the GoPro. And then um, I had a tracking device in in the, in the back of my Lycra. and so it was actually all these all these additional devices which gave me harm rather than actually the but. But for me, a real I don't know how he, things could have easily gone wrong. You know, it could have been really serious. You know, check the collarbone. Your
0: collarbone.
1: Yeah, yeah, the lot. Yeah. Over. Yeah. So um, now, very lucky. Um, I mean, obviously, a bit more cautious as I approach signs after that.
0: When you started riding your road bike, I love that you said you bought the clips right away. Did you ever have one of those situations? Like I, I feel like they're. I mean, you never tipped. Did you ever tip over with your cleats oh, yeah, still yeah, clipped? yeah, 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 yeah. yeah okay, yeah. good. You okay, oh, yeah.
1: always do. Yeah, I had all all those issues. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd never. Um, I remember I, I did, um, Lands End John O'Groats, which is the southern point of UK to northern Scotland as a as a training ride. And I thought, well, I'll do that, you know, only having ever cycled three weeks. And yeah, that, 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 during that period, I started falling off. And yeah, I learned, I learned the hard way about, about cycling. But for me, if I, if I couldn't do one, you know, how was I going to do 15? Because it's the equivalent of 15 UKs, length of UK. Oh, is that what
0: it is, eh? Yeah.
1: yeah. So for me mentally, if I couldn't do one, how was I going to do 15? And that's why I decided to do that. I did it again six months later with some of the Invictus Games guys. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't mean to sound arrogant I understand for a lot of UK cyclists it's, it's on their bucket list but for me it was a training ride um, and I had to approach it like, you know nine days
0: yeah well it's, it's there's no offense taken I can understand that I have a similar mindset to you it's like well one thing that might be considered somebody's like hardest thing they've ever done in their life I have a har- really hard time with that because I kind of just sit there and go Okay. that's I'm proud of you for completing that with some positive mindset. I try to be really positive about it, but there, it takes a certain person to be able to do certain things. And it, it, like you said, your body, as long as your body was good, it was your mentality. And if you can get your mentality and your mental health to click and just get that little thing, my husband called, he teases me all the time. It's if you can just shut off, if you yeah. shut off and let the body do the work, yeah. Oh, buddy, you're not gonna be able to stop that person no matter what they want to do. And that's exactly yeah. what you did.
1: Yeah, and I mean I was getting physically stronger. You know, before I went out there, I'd never cycled 150 miles in a day. Um, but when I got to I was school, sitting. Yeah, yeah, I was
0: sitting in the saddle That's I
1: actually all all the you no, know, I had no saddle sores. Um, you know, my, my legs were good. You know, the only thing was really pressure points on, on your hands and and bit of pain in the neck because you're constantly having to look over your, your shoulder your check. Um, but other than that, I was I was I was quite quite strong, which which was good. Um and then obviously you're getting physically stronger and then mentally stronger as well. And you know, by the time I got to Peru I had that tailwind and anything less than 150 miles a day it just wasn't wasn't enough.
0: Well I feel like for your mental health, I feel like that needs to be like uh you're kind you know what you remind me of and this is the most respect. But just All know right. these are my analogies. Okay. Yeah. You remind me of like um one of those Australian puppies that always cattle huts and they have to be run. If you do not run them, you do not work them, yeah. they they nip. They get cranky and they nip at your ankles. Yeah, yeah You have to be run.
1: That's my that's my I know one of one of the you know Maybe mention that I, I did it for a campaign for mental health.
0: Yeah, I'd like to talk and about that if you're okay talking yeah. about the charity aspect.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so obviously, uh, a friend of I met back in 2007, Prince Harry. So him and I were on a training course in the military together, and <clears throat> we've maintained friendships for 14 years since, and still do a lot of work together. When I left the military, um, I did a lot of charity work in the military sector. Uh, he also did a lot of stuff with Invictus as well. Uh, I had an intelligence fusion cell based in Mozambique in Tanzania, which used to identify the smuggling routes for the ivory. And he used to obviously mm. relay information to him. So he was my first port of call when Guinness came back and said, you've been successful. I said, "You' cycle the world's longest road and break a world record. And I remember him saying, oh, are you a cyclist? I said, no. And he sort of laughed. Um,
0: makes sense said, well, then
1: for you. Yeah. But i do a campaign next year called Heads Together, which focuses on, on mental health. And I'd seen it in the military, but I hadn't, wasn't aware how big it was throughout the whole of society. So that was the, the campaign I was going to raise money for. And I set a target of a million pounds. But actually, when we were in the early stages, you know, they were like, well, what's the messaging? What, what are you trying to promote it? And I was "I hadn't really thought about it because Harry had just yeah. asked me to do it. So I, I said, "But physical activity helps your mental state. And I said, oh, no. no can't use that. It's not been scientifically proven. It's fine. But it is. It's so you know, it proven. Is, it is now. It is now. This is back in 2016. Um, I
0: guess.
1: So I, I ignored them anyway and just carried on using using that um, using yeah. that message. And actually I do a lot of guest speaking around the world. And I, I did one actually for Scottish football and Scottish rugby. And I I, I, I I made that comment. And then afterwards, a doctor came up to me with a big folder. He slams it on the desk. He says, It's now been signed. My
0: lights work. How yeah, are you yeah. not catching on?
1: <laughs> so, going back to what you were saying is yeah, like the nippy dogs, you know, you need, for me, I need to be physically active um, mm-hmm. just, just so Alana can bear living with me. She knows when I get grouchy, it's time to drink
0: well, it's fair enough. I can respect that. That's there's something with bikes too. I don't know if you noticed it or if it was just that you picked bikes because it was easiest on your knees, but there's something about riding alone by yourself. And when you get on a stretch and you're by yourself and you're going fast and you got a nice, you got a nice tailwind and you're just, there's something so serene about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, there, there is, you know, on on this one you know i understand why people cycle and and go for runs because almost an hour or two hours away where you can just clear your mind but for me Mm -hmm. for this challenge it had the opposite effect i ended up being on the bike for 10 hours and you start over analyzing things so Uh, so what would work for others on a short ride wasn't me but yeah if you have the tailwinds good you know with this bike ride it was everything from plus 47 degrees centigrade to minus 18 in alaska you had 60 mile an hour winds and tornadoes you had snow uh, you know it was, it, it, it was everything which, which i i liked you know i i'd done that in the military you know very fortunate to go desert arctic jungle but i hadn't mm-hmm. done a bike um and i think that's where that sort of helped me as a non-cyclist but a military guy is that you've operated in those environments so you know how to how to operate for maybe for other cyclists who haven't experienced the heats of the deserts mm-hmm. so or the arctics so it, it, it might have been a bit more difficult
0: no, I can understand that. I choose not to ride in anything below 10 degrees. I won't yeah. do it.
1: No, so, I don't
0: feel like hurting myself and putting myself... It's too cold. I'm over it. I'm at a point where I can choose when I ride, and it's not I, I'm then.
1: In, I'm in Southern California. I'm a cycling snob. <laughs> oh,
0: I know. Well, yeah, you've turned into one. How long have you been in California for? Uh,
1: we arrived in October. Um, mid, okay. Not long, yeah. So
0: Just just in time to get locked the fuck down. That's poor yeah, that. soul of yours. Oh, <laughs> at least you had son, at least you had son. So I'll give you that. So I had no idea um, when I reached out to you that you had any sort of uh, connection with, um, Do are we allowed to call him Prince Harry still?
1: Yeah, oh Harry, yeah, Harry.
0: The, the redheaded stepchild, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna call him that. I'm exactly. um, I, I new about him when I was in, because a friend of mine, who used to be a brand ambassador of mine actually did a walk with him across Europe. And then Invictus, um, Trevor Green uh, is a buddy of mine and he lives over on the island here. And so we're involved with the similar charities and he's like, yeah, he's such a nice guy. Like you're gonna have to meet him sometime. And I was like, yeah, he's he's doing his thing. You let him do his thing. But I didn't know about this charity. And this is what I was really excited about is because this is what I do. I have a company that supports charities like this. So, can oh. you please explain to my listeners how incredible this charity is that you raised this money for?
1: Yeah, so so heads heads together. So, I think William, Harry, and Kate at the time mm-hmm. uh, at the time mental health was very much a taboo. Um, they they wanted to destigmatize it and get people to talk about their own mental health. But as I mentioned before, we I was aware about mental health within the military. You know, I'd seen it firsthand. But when I sat down with Harry, I wasn't aware and you know, from post depression, young children, teenagers, and social media being having a big impact on that, all the way through oh, to yeah. fully grown adults. You know, it's the biggest, biggest killer of men in the UK under the age of like, 40. You know, I didn't know anything about that at all before I started doing this campaign. In fact that they got their names behind it, they launched it at the London Marathon and very much became the topic of conversation. And, and most corporates now, it's part of their corporate social responsibility. It, Good. It so they sort of changed the the attitude towards it and you know, the fact that Harry talks openly about his mental health, it, you know, it doesn't discriminate, it doesn't matter whether you're in you're a member of the Royal Family or you're a, you're a fireman or whatever you know, everyone has an, an element of it and it's also how how to deal with it, so my, for me I was promoting sort of physical activity uh, element on it and um, I set a target of a million pounds and we raised 930,000 pounds or 1.2 million dollars um, for the for the campaign so for me that was more impressive than the, than the bike ride for myself congratulations uh, Dean. yeah Alana was the, the was the key around that you know she she sort of managed managed all that we 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 got about 900,000 from the corporate donors which was great and only mm-hmm. I say only 30,000 through the through the giving page but my 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 PR team has said it said you showed no emotion on your challenge it was like and for me, it was an yep. objective. You know, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't going to go on there and cry and, and things like that. I was trying to promote the Unrelenting Pursuit of Excellence. So I sort of joked, there's a radio presenter back in UK who, uh, she cycled 100 miles and cried every other mile and raises oh, for God's sake! pounds. And then there's a gentleman from Radio 1, our top radio station, who couldn't do his free peach challenge. So he has a little meltdown on TV and gets a million pounds. I always joke that I should have started crying when I hit that sign in Chile. Yeah. And just flown home. But I was trying to promote that the realms of possible and uh, then the unrelenting pursuit of excellence. So if you go, and the unrelenting, unrelenting pursuit of excellence, which I, I commonly quote, is, is a great ethos. It's not just because it's special forces, it's not just sport. Mm-hmm. It could be anything you do. If you're going to do something, you do it to the best of your ability. And I emphasize your ability because nowadays people always look at social medias and try and, you know, who's doing themselves. this and how yeah. do i
0: compare and compete yeah and it's like
1: you know that's a bluff you know i mean it's, you know a lot of people said to me when i was cycling that like, you know you're not a cyclist is that Well you need you to know you know that like, you're not me you don't know well what i've had up until now yeah and um, you know so i had a sport team with me and the mechanics like you, you can't sustain this I'm like, uh, watch me compare? yeah who you compare me to you or you know i mean and it, the numbers just got bigger and bigger so, That's so
0: impressive. Though I love your attitude towards it because it so easily could have been. You could have so easily, like in the book, you talk about how you had a trainer and you're like the the second you know, just that that as uh, soon the, the second they got negative, the certain the second yeah. they gave you that response of negativity, they had to go because you can't have them in your realm. You just yeah, can't. You
1: can't you can have that around you. You know, you, you know. I always say the hardest thing. No, the easiest thing was the bite ride. Right? The hardest thing was coming off and dealing with sort of negativity. And you know, as I talk earlier on in the, in the podcast. Positivity is contagious, you know. Negativity mm-hmm. is contagious. So if there's any negativity, just get rid of it. Um, and, and that's what I did. And thankfully, I had Alana who's still running everything around me. And from when when that support team then left, the numbers got bigger. the the The, the target had changed. You know, I got to I got to North America on day seventy, and I was fourteen days ahead. I was that like, perfect, and uh, I could take a day off here and there. I mean, Alana, yeah. um, rang me five times and then told me we'd been invited to Harry and Megan's wedding, which just changed the dynamics completely. So going into the phone call, I was 14 days ahead, 10 minutes mm-hmm. later, I'm now a day behind. I've got a new target to be. So everything yeah. you've done up until now, it doesn't really matter. So, so for, for me, you know, I had to then change, change the plan as well. You know, change the way mm-hmm. I cycled in South and Central America. It was from first light to last light because of security. I didn't have that limit in America. I could cycle at night and, um, if I mean, I just play chess with mother nature through the winds, just try to give it everything to my, to my advantage. So yeah, it's uh, I talk about how important planning is, but again, that sort of military mindset of being reactive. Things don't always go to plan and you just need to react mm-hmm. to the situation that's in front of you. And that's, that was success to this.
0: Well, it was nice to see, and I want to bring this back to Alana because I, I, I think she's an incredible human. And like I told you before I started this, like I messaged her before I even had you on because I, I wanted to acknowledge her in a way that I feel like, you know, it's your job. This is your book. This is your life. And this is what you're putting out to the world. And, you know, so many people are going to see and read and hear, you know, your side of what what it's like to have that support system. But I think You know, I know she knows she's appreciated and I know she knows she feels that, but I wanted to really acknowledge that to her because I know what it's like to have a child and I know what it's like to go through things like not saying she did, but postpartum depression on top of PTS. I know what it's like to have those things and have that support system. And the fact that she was able to provide that with you in a way that she didn't try to change you, didn't try to silence you or make you be this other person. She took you as you were, she watched you grow into who you were and then she yeah. supported that all along of that. And I yeah. think that's that's one of the most beautiful things and hardest things to do. She was essentially, if I'm not wrong, a single mom a lot of the time that you guys yeah. had your young little ones.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, talking about little ones. What is it? What's
0: no, it? don't you ever apologize. If there's a tiny human in there. I yes, am fine with tiny humans. Your
1: old son just walked in. let me take it? Yeah, no, you're you're right. She, you know, she, she did all that. She she ran. I I generally believe that anyone can break a will record. I'm I, that's not me being sounding arrogant to anyone. If you take away all those distractions, someone's running the mm-hmm. family, someone's running the business, paying the mortgage and she made it very easy for me all i had to do was concentrate on on that and and that's what she does really well and i i, I do it with my guest speaking we talk about you know the special forces for every one operator to go on the ground it takes seven other people within the military be it the pilot the armourer mm-hmm. you know the chef it's a team that people don't see and and they, they need appreciating from from the bottom level up um but alana is yeah she's she's a powerhouse in a in herself and we know we know our strengths and weaknesses i can't do tax returns or you know or sign or do the contracts um, mm-hmm. on, on the sociable one on the sociable one but she then comes in and nails it nails it down um, well no. i'm so
0: glad that i'm i'm honestly i'm i'm so glad that you met her in that mm-hmm. week that you're up there because i think you needed someone like her because if you didn't you wouldn't be here right now oh, no, i really I, believe I, that i not
1: be telling this story at all no about that
0: no, I don't I don't know that there would have been a story. That's what I mean. I feel like it would have been cut short because you, you, she was able to see the bigger perspective and sometimes just having that and giving that that ability for someone in your family to look outside of, you know, step outside and go, hey, you're, you're going to die eventually if you don't, you know, but be brazen, be honest and be forward thinking with that um, because it takes a person like that. And then to have, so hold on, how many kids do you have?
1: I have two kids, Molly and Tommy. So Molly's nine. Yeah, and four, yeah.
0: Yeah, and no, because you said you said um, at the very beginning of the podcast there you were dealing with. Um... Oh
1: yeah, I, I sorry, with Alana, I have two I, I have I have uh, children, my 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 ex partners. Ah yeah.
0: uh, okay, yeah. yeah.
1: So I'm, I'm, I'm on that's Delta. why you threw me there. Yeah. Oh sorry, yeah. I, I, I always joke I've I've got Charlie Fire Team and and, and one from Delta Fire Team. <laughs> five, five in total. Sorry, Delta, that's two boys.
0: Oh, yeah. so you wanted a football team of your own. Yeah,
1: yeah. I've, I've started my own unit, yeah. As soon I say, Charlie and Delta, I just need three more and I've got Delta Fire Team. I've got a section.
0: I feel like Alana has enough to deal with, with you that she doesn't need three more to try to kind of manage at the same time. She
1: doesn't. No, really.
0: and I, and you, so you're a little girl at the end of the book. I'll just touch on this quickly because I think it shows to the the father that you are and the husband that you are, you've instilled such good qualities in your daughter that she was willing to cut her hair off for yeah. a charity
1: yeah yeah we, that's
0: impressive
1: yeah i think one of the things we, we we really push on is is you know we do all these great things but it's always for a great cause philanthropy wise and it's all about ed- education as well so you know mm-hmm. whether it's mental health or modern slavery human trafficking we we don't try and hide the world to the kids and you know yeah we don't want them thinking this is this is what you see on tv we show them another side but then they they're very traveled, they travel with us, you know, they've been Australia, Dubai, Thailand, Alaska, you know, we, we try and give them exposure to, to everything. Um, because I do feel like these days, it, it's, it's all about this. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not, it's just, just education with them. But yeah, my daughter's got a really kind heart. She obviously gets that from her mum, and my son has got my, uh, my temper. <laughs>
0: That's okay, well, we, this, you work on the temper, but does, the question is, does your son have your ears?
1: Uh, no, I think my daughter has my ears, but she's managed to she's got long hair, so she hides it. And my son's not too bad at the moment.
0: yeah, oh, well, we'll give it time. those ears do grow,
1: yeah <laughs> yeah
0: i um i you know dean, i'm I'm gonna let you go there i because I know you have another podcast to get to, but um your story is a value add to this world, and I think there's a difference between people who write books and then people who write books and Your story, it doesn't need to be just a book, but it needs to be something that people look to towards that they show to their families as examples. And they teach to their kids that you can literally do and be anything you want to be. And that is not a stereotype. And that is not a, look, that person plays tennis. You can do whatever you want. It's like, well, no, 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 that's not how that works. That's not the real world. Let's get on board here. And I I just want to say that um, I appreciate your time. I appreciate the way that you have... Really gone above and beyond to tell your story because it will help and change and improve our world uh, whether it's through the military through the way that we do selection through the way that we train our soldiers to the private security and how we keep our people safe when they're trying to do real things in other parts of the world um all the way down to just the way that you are as a family man because that's incredibly important in my life and in my listeners lives but also the way that you raise your kids and how much you respect the hell out of your wife because that is also few and far between nowadays yeah. um and having that partnership so I'm so grateful for your time. Uh, thank Brilliant. you so much for coming on this podcast. And uh, is there anything else I've missed that you want to drop real quick?
1: No, I don't know. I think we've mentioned my ears a few times on this podcast. i so probably a bit paranoid. That's what I do. Yeah, exactly. Just, good.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, it's all good. Stay
0: paranoid. I like to keep <laughs> you that way.
1: No, excellent. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much, Dean. And we'll chat with you guys all next week.